The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at News News Need on Twitter. You can find me at CP Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. And sound of you've heard have come from none other than our man in Brooklyn. One football watching agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? Let's go Giants. Spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. Yes, yes, yes. As I said earlier, the the fans are back apparently, and I just noticed that shirt you had on. That nice uh, uh Toretto's crowd shirt yeah. for, for those Toretto's on, garage for the, for those listening uh, to the audio. You should watch the video uh, version sometimes. See our see our handsome faces. Well, eight to seven version. We definitely we we could definitely use some views on uh, Twitch and YouTube. It'd be nice. It would be nice. Uh, but also you can find this here podcast on the Cold Slither Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on your podcast place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or the Cold Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. But I, I was like I, I was about to do that same thing you just did. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but you can also find us recording live, like I said a little, a little bit ago, every Thursday night, most Thursday nights, on um, the, the YouTube channel of the Click Nation. That's YouTube.com/slash/TheClickNation, but also Twitch.tv/slash/ComicBookChronicles. <laughs> So yeah, we are about to get into um, the recap of uh, episode six of What If on Disney Plus. And I believe yes, and it is What If Killmonger rescued Tony Stark. Minor spoilers here, but now. We are going to ring the spoiler bell because even though we do our best to strive towards lighter spoilers, broad stroke review stuff, we're going to touch on some stuff here that's going to be some spoilers for the for the episode. So uh, spoilers here in after the spoiler bell in three, two, one. 
It was all right. longer all along. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we we start on familiar territory with um, the pretty much the beginning of Iron Man number one. Uh, right. turns in a well, bear in they, mind, hold up, hold up, okay, thought. Bear in mind, because we start back in Iron Man back in two thousand eight, everything that happens here has to be referenced in that time frame. Yes, going coming from that uh, specific exactly. coming from that time frame. Exactly. Right. While there are some familiar beats that we're going to run into as Roddy Cat and I go through the episode, you have to reset your chronometer, as it were. You know, we've been reading too much Kang stuff. So, we have you have to reset your calendar to read 2008 and think about where some of these other MCU characters that we encounter in this episode would be or where we would find them circa 2008. Go ahead, Roddy Cat. Indeed. So, yes, like I said, familiar beats. Tony's in a Tony's in a desert heading to an arms deal or heading from an arms deal, I guess, at that point. Because he had already done the uh, the whole missile thing, if I'm not mistaken. Right. At that point, they had already done the Jericho test. Yeah. So, yeah, he's coming He's coming back in the fun V, not the humdrum V. Yes, yes, as, as he said. Uh, and, as of course... Told, uh, as he told, uh, whatchamacallit, Terrence Howard, man. <laughs> yes, ain't no, ain't no Terrence Howard in this joint, though. <laughs> oh, he's been retconned <laughs> out for sure now. Yes, he has. But we'll get to that in a moment. Um, so, yeah, familiar beats up until the point where... Tony uh, ends up leaving the truck. The, the you know shells and stuff going on around my the, the familiar shell um, uh, shell drops near him, but uh, gets picked up. Coincidentally, picked up and thrown away by one Killmonger who just so happens to be there. And that right, right. there, folks, should be your first clue as to where this was going. <laughs> right. And what was great is that. There are several characters in this episode that have their suspicions, but there are some who are just blindly Clueless. following the program. Yes. It's so, you know, my... even at this point, I was like, so what's going on here? And I was glad that there were some characters who picked up on the fact that this was highly suspicious. Right. Exactly. And I was like, yes. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second, too, because I'm sitting here like, yeah, how do you know? who wait? Just so happened, really, right, right. But, um, but anyway, like I said, we'll get to that. So, of course, um, Tony's life gets saved by Killmonger. You know, they get introduced in a, in a as as Tony says, in a spectacular way. Um, and of course, Tony uh, takes uh, Killmonger under you know in his um in his um under his wing, I guess per se. Um. And uh, Killmonger gets uh, Tony's trust, and then, of course, most of the things that would end up ha- happening, I guess, going into um, going into um, Iron Man 2 happen. Like, I-, I was actually cool with this part. Uh, Stane kind of gets his comeuppance earlier than, than, he, than he would have at the end of us Iron Man 1, because Killmonger just so happens to have at- receipts, as he says. Right. Uh, about um, the whole thing, which still, which now that I think about it or think back on that, kind of never really sat right with me. 
the fact that Stain was the one um, dealing with the, the, the Ten Rings. Right, uh, that he had basically hired out the Hitman. Right. Um, so, yeah, that part, and I think somebody else kind of mentioned that too, and at least in one video that I mentioned, I was like, yeah, that was kind of weird, uh, that the way they, they, they made it about that, as opposed to, you know, just like the Ten Rings proper or something like that. But regardless, it is what it is. Um, but so Stain gets cottered away. Uh, of course, Killmonger gets more of Tony's trust and even is made, um, ends up being made COO. So, um, Killmonger's intentions were thinly veiled behind, uh, supposed good intentions and some characters picked up on it very quickly. Some characters remained blind to those ulterior motives throughout the entire episode, which was just shocking to me. Right. But, but, if, but as uh, I just said before the show, like some people kind of were, were nerfed uh, because of yeah. to keep the kind of to keep the story going. Right. For purposes of the story, right? For purposes of telling the story, some people are nerfed intellectually and power wise that's kind of what happens in these what if stories you know powers and intellects are somewhat reduced just so uh the stories can move forward but as we were saying um as roddy cat was saying uh killmonger's gotten into tony stark's good graces and what ends up happening is that uh he he uh you know uh Killmonger reveals that Obadiah Stane was behind the uh, the the plot to kidnap and and or at least the plot against Tony Stark because yeah. uh, he has quote unquote receipts. You yes. know this is a a phrase that was not in vogue in 2008 but has become in vogue now. Yeah. Uh, you know, hold on to your love, right? And uh, <laughs> nice. So. Uh, you know, shout out to Fife who was in love with Dawn. Um, <laughs> so, uh, getting back to what we were saying, Killmonger has has uh, proof that Obadiah Stane was behind the plot against Tony Stark, and basically uh, deposes uh, or is is elemental in the de- in, in in the the dethroning of Obadiah Stane from his COO position at Stark Industries. Right. Somehow. Uh, Tony promotes um, uh, Eric Stevens, a.k.a. Uh, Killmonger, to the head of security once he's back from Afghanistan. But then once Stain gets taken down, he gets uh, Tony Stark promotes Killmonger to COO. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, Pepper's spidey sense is definitely tingling. And uh, he's but she's unable to find any uh, information on him, even with the help of uh, Rhodey. And uh, at this point, we have a transition to Killmonger telling Tony that he has uh, theoretical plans for automated combat drones that he came up with in college, but he wasn't able to crack uh, the interface. Because let's not forget. Yes, because lest we forget, Killmonger is a graduate of MIT, uh, which is was said in in, um, in uh, the Black Panther movie. Cause, so this is not stuff that's not out of the ordinary. Like this is stuff we found out during the course of the MCU. Right, 
Right. He's uh, you know, he's gifted. Yes. He may not be the same genius level, but he's definitely gifted because he has a lot of the theory down. All you know, and obviously he's got a lot of the the tactical and physical abilities as well because he's a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at this point, he uh, he tells Tony that you know they're 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 um, they're mutual alma mater. MIT, mm-hmm. right? They're both graduates of MIT, and so we have uh, Tony looking up Killmonger's thesis and pulling out some of the schematics, and it turns out that these schematics look very much like uh, Mobile Suit Gundams. Yes, or actually, th- realistically, they look more like. Uh, so if you if you don't know uh, Michael B. Jordan, who's pl- who's also uh, and I think uh, this might have been lost in the uh, when the audio was out. Also, a lot of people are returning. A lot of people returned to play voice themselves uh, uh, as their character as their MCU characters, with the exception of obviously Tony Stark, uh, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Pepper Potts, and uh, Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane. Yeah, uh, Jeff Bridges, of course. Out. We know, you know he yeah. he was uh, ill and indisposed while this was going on. Right, but that being said, uh, we we come to find out that, um, like Agent Seventy said, all of this. But the the um, the schematics that uh, that uh, Killmonger that uh, Tony brings up, while yes, Gundam was being referenced, they look a little bit more like um, they kind of look like those Genlock. Um, so if you didn't know, Michael B. Jordan is also a part of this uh, uh, animated show. Jinlock uh, is one of, I think, one of the main voices, and the some design. The animated, design yeah, animated show and car, and comic book. Yes, yes, and comic book because yes, they did make a comic book out of that. Um, uh, so there was kind of like that, and we even get the line uh, uh, in during this uh, during this part where Kilmonger says, "I like anime," which we know. Michael B. Jordan also likes anime and has pretty much has said that line verbatim <laughs> uh, in real life. So that was that was a, a pretty interesting reference. Um, so anyway, Tony helps Killmonger. Talk about meta commentary. Exactly. So I thought that was a nice idea to put that in there because you know it's like, yeah, there you go. Uh, Michael B.'s love of anime gets uh, gets uh, gets referenced and shouted out during the course of this. But like I said, Gundam reference uh, and Tony not you know not being able to resist the challenge is like yeah we can we can we can do something with this and clean this up a little bit. So he and Killmonger end up uh, working on these uh, plans. Um, uh, yeah, I think was was Tony said that, that he was trying to crack the code uh, or no Killmonger said that we couldn't, and then Tony figured out figured, pretty much brought up the arc reactor, but he's like nah that's not that's not it. Uh, and then this is when Kilmarger brings out uh, his father's ring, which is made out of vibranium, um, and that ends up being uh, used as the power source for this prototype as they test out. And also, the prototype gets um, gets um, gets marked with uh, Kilmarger's moves, which will come up later on because they use um, um, Kilmarger as a model for the for the for this thing's moves. Um, also, I think I saw something where it said that, um, like, especially around the face, it looks like um, some of the robot, the uh, the robot designs from um, Whiplash in Iron Man Two, which uh, I don't remember all that much, and you know, 
I gotta look again. Yeah. So, uh, but this is what you get for uh, watching Easter egg videos after you watched uh, programs such as this. Well, sometimes you might, you know, sometimes something else comes across. Uh, anyway, the story keeps going. Um, um, right. They need vibranium. Yes. Right. And so, who do they go to for help? None other than Gollum. I mean, Ulysses Claw. <laughs> Indeed. And of course, you know. this is around uh, Age of Ultron time and, cult- and, and Tony. Well, no, it's not, I don't think. See, here's the thing, right? So what we run into, and this is, I don't know if the audio had had, had, had been restored or not, but what I was reminding Roddy Cat to keep in mind was that a lot of the settings that we see come later in the, right. the MC timeline, but we have to kind of push everything back a little bit because we're starting from 2008. True. So, you're right. So, what what we know is that Claw is an infamous international arms dealer that Tony Stark has seen yeah. at different you know, different functions, you know, as, you know, being in the same, uh, the, the same, uh, business field. So, uh, ultimately they have to try to make a deal, but they, they, they use the uh, auspices of the United States military to, uh, try to make a deal for some vibranium. And this is yet another machination set in motion by one Eric Killmonger. Yep. So, uh, and it is at this point, uh, during this, so yeah, like, it, uh, like you just said, that things come a little bit earlier than, than what they did with what we've seen in the MCU, uh, a deal kind of goes down, but then gets interrupted by, uh, by one, uh, T'Challa, the Black Panther who comes in, kind of, uh, cleans up. He talks to Rhodey for a second, but then both he and, uh, Rhodey get taken down by a, Slightly familiar looking sonic weapon um, uh, that apparently. That was from Iron Man 1. Exactly. Um, That's from Iron Man 1. It's the same sonic weapon that. Uh, that um, Stain uses on Tony. Yeah, that Stain uses on Tony, and Stain uses on uh, the, uh, the member of the Ten Rings that had been holding uh, yes. Tony hostage. The, the 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 field leader of that branch of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. So um, Killmonger comes, kind of kind of shows his hand on this one to to Rhodey and Black Panther, kills them both, uh, but blames it on uh, uh, blames on on other. Uh, basically, I think Wakanda gets the blame or something. I can't remember. Yes, why. Wakanda. Yeah. Wakanda gets the blame. More nerfing of T'Challa's uh, vibranium mesh uniform mm-hmm. here uh, because I was I was like, what? That's not supposed to work, right? <laughs> right. But, yeah, I was like, you nothing, know, nothing like that should have should have worked for on on T'Challa, but yeah, it did. Well, the Sonic thing I can understand. The way he ended up getting taken out didn't make sense. Did not. Yeah. So right. So ultimately. We- yeah. Ultimately, you know, it, it all goes to you know forwarding the, uh, the, the 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 momentum of the story. So you know, we have to just take that as they wrote it, right? And just like Get this next part, to... what's that? And just like this next part, because right. because and then we this... get back to yeah, we get back to uh, uh, Killmonger, basically uh, going back to Tony, but finally, 
finally, Tony figures out what happens, especially mm-hmm. because, you know, and it's most likely because Rhodey uh, went down in this particular exchange as well. Right. So, yeah, so that happens. There's a confrontation, uh, which ultimately goes badly for, for, uh, for Tony. The, uh, the same prototype uh, mech, robot, whatever, uh, ends up getting used against the Killmonger, but who ends up, um, who ends up taking it out uh, with a vibranium sphere and also taking out Tony with, same, with that same sphere um, through his shoulder, weirdly enough. But hey, you know... Uh, Sure. People die in strange ways in movies. Why not that? And it wasn't even the shoulder close to the heart. It was the right shoulder. Um, right. So anyway, uh, the uh, that being the case, uh, the U.S. military, because you get because Rhodey got taken out of this, which is something, you know, um, and Thunderbolt Ross being involved, that, I guess that should be stated in, at this point. They did end up taking over... Um, Stark Industries and st- staging an invasion of Wakanda. All of, you know, of course, uh, um, all according to Killmonger's uh, plan, uh, but letting other people think think that they're the ones. So a whole bunch of these drones get um, get made. They march on Wakanda once they find out uh, where it is, thanks to Claw, who gets taken out after um, after um, calling Killmonger a boy. Uh, right at the, the right at the uh, force field border, uh, let's see the the drones kind of get get uh, put in place, but uh, I believe this is when Killmonger uh, takes. Oh yeah, he kills. Um, that's right. I forgot about this part. He right. This uh, part is kills, similar to the Black Panther movie. Exactly. So he kills uh, Claw, takes uh, Claw to into Wakanda, and says, "Here, I bring. Uh, I, I brought you justice." Gets in the Wakanda, starts to get into the Wakandans, more specifically T'Chaka's, and not like Shuri's, because Shuri's like, "Why do we have to trust this stranger?" But she kind of still goes along with it, and T'Chaka's kind of uh, going along with it because he's like. You know, for some strange reason, he's not thinking anything crazy about this. Um, so that's going according to, to Killmonger's plans. Uh, again, the the U.S. military gets a lot of drones. They set that up according to plan there. But but Killmonger has his own um, plan that he shares part of which with the the Wakandans. Uh, that part goes. Pretty much without a hitch, because the plan was to get a bunch of these drones with the, under the, the force field and uh, shut them down. When the sh- force field closes, that happens. Uh, but then Killmonger kind of has a backup. I mean, has a um, has the drones set up with a, a backup, which start up again. They mar- still march on the, um, the Wakandan capital, and of course, he puts himself in T'Chaka's and, and people's good graces by fighting along with the other Wakandans. Um, right. Uh, Somewhat unconvincingly. Yes, I, I, I agree with that uh, because obviously, you know, well, not obviously, but um, Shuri, like Chaka gets kind of taken in by uh, Ramanda, who we find out is the, was the general of uh, the Dora Milaje. Uh, um, um, kind of skeptical. Shuri's kind of skeptical, but they still kind of go along with it. To, to a point, um, or at least 
at least one of them seems like they go along with it until we, we uh, get to the end of this. Um, so there's a big fight with the drones and stuff, and Wakanda and uh, Ramonda has a nice, um, nice touching um, uh, battle cry uh, at one point, which you, you should definitely see. Um, you know, uh, but again, like I said, Killmonger kind of gets into T'Chaka's good graces. He ends up making under Black Panther. Um, uh, but at, but I think that's when it ends for him. And then we come to find out that, um, Shuri, you know, not taken for a fool goes to Pepper Potts and was like, look, here's, I got proof as to what happened to Tony and, uh, and, and, uh, we have a mutual enemy. That's Mm -hmm. essentially what it comes down to. So, uh, you know, what's great about these, what if episodes, and I understand that some people are left wanting more, but that's the point. You don't get the end of the story. The point is we see where this could go. Right. Like, yeah, even the what ifs in the comics kind of leave off at a at a point where that could be brought, you know, could, could be um, um, continued, continued, or just left right there, you know. So that's kind of how they go. Kind of leave you like like Agent Seven said, leave you wanting more. This one, like I said, if it wasn't for the fact that this one was kind of um, um. Like you kind of knew where this was going from from pretty much the beginning. Beginning, it was still pretty decent, but at the same time, it's like, well, it was just following the different beat, uh, the same beats in a different time frame. Right. Ultimately, what it is is that you are waiting to see if there was going to be a hero turn. Right. If there was going to be a moment where the the path that Killmonger was on would change, but there were strong hints it, you did not need to be you know the most deft and and and, and adept detective to figure out that his intentions were not uh honorable, honorable. yeah so and therefore I played out like because yeah because part of me was thinking of like well maybe he's still gonna like maybe because of this drone ends up somehow making him into iron man and he turns into being a hero or something like that or killmonger ends up being iron man or even ironmonger you know i mean not ironmonger uh war machine right. uh, but no so that kind of just left it like all right yeah here we go we just get into the same place just in a different time frame and and no not saying that was a bad but it was just kind of predictable in, in in that sense but still ended up pretty good because, like I said, I, I would I am one of those people who would love to see what happens, you know, uh, after this, like what ends up happening after this, and we still don't know whether there is any of the things that are coming up this season going to be revisited outside of the making of the the uh, multiversal Avengers thing, right? Uh, but we will see going towards the uh, going into the second season, if not the ends of this season. Alrighty, moving on. So, yeah. Now we get into... Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. The comic books of the week. And I believe we said we were going to start off with... Uh, Black Widow number 11. 11. Alrighty, so Black Widow number 11 is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Rafael De La Torre. Colors by Jordi Belair and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So this is the resumption of the Black Widow story. Specifically, what we where we find ourselves is in the aftermath 
of the whole Apogee um, mission. And we initially find ourselves in what is it, the web that they call themselves. I'm still I'm still opening up my uh, my copy of this this week. But uh, we find ourselves in the web and the supporting cast in this issue or in this book, really, are um, Anya Corazon, uh, Spider-Girl, mm-hmm. and um, a character who I don't think has received – I don't think she's received a code name as of yet. Lucy no. Nguyen? Not yet. Right. So the best we can say is that she's Vietnamese, or at least part Vietnamese. Yes. And uh, we we encounter uh, Yelena Belova overseeing this little uh, combat training session. But uh, ultimately, the, the, the point of this early part of the story is that Natasha is heading, to, heading out to get some information. And, and uh, it takes some teeth pulling on... Yelena Belova's part to figure out where uh, Natasha's going. We find out where Natasha goes, and she's getting some information on this current case that they're investigating involving Apogee and these superhero, I mean, these super-powered um, uh, characters that are uh, popping up and these uh, drugs that they're giving out to give out uh, superpowers. We also find out that Natasha is still harboring feelings and uh guilt even for what happened to the um the 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 the, the pseudo family partially fam- partially real family that uh was uh forced upon her in a sense at the beginning of this book and now she is on the hunt for these uh two characters uh otherwise that's sort of an aside that we're going to be, I guess, revisiting as a plot point further down the line. And the crux of the, the rest of the issue, that is, the rest of the issue involves Natasha and Yelena in a battle with, uh, uh, I guess they are paternal twins, a boy and a, uh, you know, a, a, a boy and a girl who are, who exhibit interesting powers yes and also the same characteristics of the the of the crimson twins from gi joe in a, in a way um, right right yeah almost yeah almost exactly the same they definitely have similar traits uh but there is one actual superpower that yes. uh you yeah, know they that they're true. um that they're using that they exhibit here mm-hmm. but yeah I, I i kind of find that amusing i didn't think of it that way because i i got hung up on the actual superpowered part right but uh, but yeah, it turns out that there's much more of a superpowered underworld in San Francisco in San Francisco than we knew prior to this book. And obviously, Kelly Thompson is trying to establish that's why Natasha is setting up shop in San Francisco. There are superhero things going on, right? And I mean, we knew some of it before, like right. like Daredevil was there before. Oh, you know, I it's mean, not the first time we've had superheroes in San Francisco. The X-Men were off the coast of San, San Francisco for a, for a while. Right. The West Coast Avengers. Then there was all the whole, um, quote-unquote, underworld with uh, the Shroud and, right. you know, his old, whole people. So, yeah, there were definitely people. Which I actually thought that's where this was going. I thought he, she, uh, Lentosha was going to, like, hook up with the Shroud if he was still around and his crew, uh, the Night Shift. 
which right. I think- and and as always the, uh, the 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 first gen OG champions. I never read that book, but I don't know where they were based. I don't know if they were an all Cali team or Northern Cali, which would put them around San Fran or Southern around LA. I don't know. And Widow was a part of that group, and I believe they might have been around San Francisco. I'm not entirely sure. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's why that's why I bring it up. It's like, oh, maybe there's a champions link here because uh, because of uh, the widow being uh, a champion back then. But in in any event, uh, all that speculation aside, essentially what happens is that these twins give the information they want to give mm-hmm. to the widow and uh, the two widows, and uh, it turns out that um, there is much more to happen. This is only the first issue of this particular story arc yes and the, and the information they gave came after a fight with uh, both of the widows you know just for for funsies i guess uh and to try to you know see where they where they match up i guess uh seeming the case but all but like you just said they were there was a ulterior motives as to why they gave the information they did uh but after that they also sent um sent word to some mysterious figure who we don't necessarily see. Uh, we also come to find out that Apogee is, was not the top dog uh, in this, which we kind of figure. And I think that was what prompted uh, Natasha to kind of look into this loose end because she felt like, yeah, there was something that was still missing about that whole last arc uh, in dealing with Apogee. And she starts to get a, a, a little bit of a piece of that here going into the next um next issue and that's pretty much where, where we end up that was good this is um you know still continues to be a good book I, i'm loving some of the art choices in in this book especially with um um well, well no, it's, it's dilatory in this issue because i think he and um uh elena casa grande split right. the art duties on this book but they are exhibiting similar uh design and layout Right uh, choices, and that's what keeps this book very consistent. Right, and I would also say what keeps this book super consistent is that uh, Kelly Thompson, I believe, adopted this. I don't know if this is pre-existing or not, but the banter between the widows, which I was more fully introduced to in the widow Black Widow movie, mm-hmm. I don't know if that really existed to this level. Previous prior to this run of Black Widow, I just don't know. Right. Uh, so it's it's fun to see that banter, that level of um, sisterly rivalry. Uh, it seems to be a lot more played up now that the movie. Yeah, now that the movie's out, it seems to be played up a lot more than I believe we may or may not have seen in the in recent history with them too. Right. Um, we definitely have noticed uh, um, it, it in uh, Elena's character within, like I said, within a lot of recent um, her recent showings. N- not just in this book, but in uh, a couple other books that she's been uh, she's been in. Right. Uh, so yeah, that being said, that was uh, Black Widow number eleven. Still pretty good. Uh, next, we will go into I don't know which one we're going to. Yeah, yes. Let's go it's into... a big anniversary issue yes. this week. So uh, let me pull up. 
and sadly I forgot to get the covers for this week, so I don't have covers, folks. Sorry. That's okay. You're watching the video version. So, uh, this is... The legacy number is 680, which is a big hint towards the fact that we are not that far from 700. Mm-hmm. It is also the 60th. It's celebrating. We're starting to celebrate the 60th year of the Fantastic Four. And that is the that is cause for celebration in this issue, Fantastic Four number 35. So I'm just going to spit out the creative team real quick, and then Roddy Cat and I are going to uh, bandy back and forth the details of this story. The book is split up into three sections. There's a main section and two backup stories. The main section is written by Dan Slott. Uh, the smaller backup story is written by Jason Liu, and the larger backup story is written by Mark Wade. The art on the main story is by John Romita Jr. The smaller story is illustrated by Jason Liu, and the larger backup story is illustrated by Paul Renault. Inks are by J.P. Mayer and Cam Smith on the first story. Jason Liu does the second story, and Mark Morales and Paul Renault, Renault do the... Uh, uh, the larger backup story, uh, together with Raphael. Let me open up this box. Raphael Fonteres uh, and yeah. Scott Hanna. Colors by Marte Gracia and Eric Arseniega. Uh, Jason Liu uh, does his own colors, and Paul Renault apparently does his own colors. And this book is lettered in its entirety by none other than our favorite Python, VC's Joe Caramagna. Take it away, Roddy Cat. You did say Mark Wade, right? I did. Okay. okay. The backup, yeah, the larger backup story is written by Mark Wade. Yes. So, I will go ahead and say that this is a potential click of the week uh, for me, because I enjoyed what was going on here. And the, the main story has to do with... Um, so, this will probably be familiar with some folks of a certain vintage. Um, there is a certain chrono, uh, chrono scavenger hunt by various iterations of the, the Kangs, uh, and not we, the Kangs as in Kang, the conqueror, uh, uh, or actually as they, as they put forth here variants, cause, uh, that parlance is now, um, uh, getting used it's, a little bit yeah, more. In it is absolutely comics. in. It has migrated over to the Marvel comic universe lexicon, as we were saying earlier. They are mm-hmm. now using variant as a way to describe uh, versions of characters, which is you know we would see all sorts of different ways that they would describe it. So mm-hmm. that is a, 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 apparently a permanent term now in the Marvel comic universe indeed so and even so much as the tva shows up in this uh issue uh at 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 various points but like i said there is a scavenger hunt let's say uh that is done by the kang family because there's this one supposed prize that they're all uh that uh, what was it uh morris mortis pretty much uh sends them after why he chronicles right. their story. So there's basically if you Well know, essentially well well essentially is that there's one thing missing, right? And Amorta says that the claim is that their esteemed ancestor left it for them. Right. That being uh Nathaniel Richards, the 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 original 
the, the one that got the ball rolling on. The well, trail. not that he left it for them, but it's the single greatest prize. Right. The single greatest treasure in the universe, and they're, they're supposed to look for it. Correct. So it ends up being a scavenger uh, hunt because the pieces of said prize are, uh, are within four timelines. So they all have to go after one. It's basically... And I hate to reference, not I don't hate to reference this again, but um, uh, I will reference uh, a G.I. Joe five-parter where things are scattered about the globe and um, they have the, you know, there's a... There's it's a, the weather a, dominator. Yes, exactly. But also, there's a um, a version of um, Almost Got Him from the uh, Batman the Animated Series show because once they all bring their pieces back, they have to recount the stories of how they got them and how they got them is they have to go through the, the uh, time versions of uh, very different time versions of the Fantastic Four to get said pieces. And when I mean go through, I mean go through as, as we come to uh, find out uh, end of content of the story. There's also a supposed new Kang, a new version of Kang that shows up in his here some kind of way i say that because it's time and it's king and, and, and you know things happen and it's also comics so <laughs> that being said um so you know uh, all of the versions of king all the variants of king do do their thing this one new variant who who is uh a uh who is, is the last one to recount his part of the story but as you come to find out it was uh it was a ruse in a in a cert in a cert um by of course uh one Reed Richards who uh turns the tables on well, not necessarily turn the table but pretty much gets the upper hand in the situation with a team of the with a time varied team of Fantastic Four. Um and it ends up being a pretty good story because of the way it goes. Like I said, I'm kind of, kind of, kind of skipping over the hows and the whys and the different uh, art styles and the different time frames that um, we get to see. Because we even get to see the when the the kings are uh, recounting their stories, uh, different covers for the different that would the that's around the different time periods that they're supposed to be set in, with um, you know when they recount the story and. Those kind of touches are pretty great. Have been were, were pretty great in the story. Right, it's really one art style because it's John Romita Jr. Well, yeah. What Roddy Cat is mentioning or referring to are the costumes. You know, they're definite uh, shout outs to the different eras that the Fantastic Four have been in. We touch on um, the Future Foundation. We touch on the time when uh, Ben Grimm was running around with a metal mask. Right, because well, that, he was wounded. Right, well, that uh, and the covers that are shown, like right before they recount their stories, stories for right. the for those time frames around the same time. Right, right, right. So uh, that was you know that was fun to see. Also, uh, the ending of the story, and I'm not going to spoil it, mm-hmm. but you know, and, and what's great about it, what honestly was great about it is that you know we all know that the FF, you know, what the basis of the FF is, it's family. But in this case, Reed Richards has gone almost full Dom Toretto. <laughs> yes. Almost full Dom Toretto. <laughs> like, seriously, I, when we get to the end of the book, I'm like, really? You know, yeah. maybe that's why I put on the Toretto's Garage shirt for the show tonight. Yeah, maybe. But I got a kick out of that. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, in, and also... I guess in reference to Star Wars uh, fashion, some would, would get this reference. There is another. 
Right. Uh, exactly. Also, exactly. But also, and, and we minor, get a... I was about to say minor spoilers. Mm-hmm. The uh, the issue that uh, Johnny is having with his flame as a result of uh, ticking off uh, Victor Von Doom yes. is ongoing. It is not resolved in this issue. It is going to be a big part of next issue, actually, if you pay attention like we do to yep. solicitations for uh, upcoming comic books. Or but if you see the, the, that end, the, the end of the, the in between the, uh, the main story and the, the backup story. Right. But ultimately, uh, that is not going to be solved anytime soon apparently it's going to be uh it's going to run in a similar vein it may not be as permanent as the things uh mutation and transformation but it's going to run in a similar vein right uh, and even ben and ben even uh figures out that he is going to have to shoulder a lot of the burden of giving johnny some comfort in that regard, because he has and is still going through something very similar with regards to uh, Stretch not coming up with a solution or at least a permanent solution. Right. And yeah. And like he just already said, like, you know, Ben being in the situation before and Johnny in his own way, trying to be the one to uh, shoulder shoulder it for or help shoulder it with him. You know, Ben kind of uh, puts that out there. So I was like, oh, that's that's a uh, pretty nice, and you know, again, evokes the whole family thing. You know, uh, they've they've been at odds before, but it's also been like pretty much like two brothers, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so I mean, we can touch on the we can touch on the two backup stories as well. You know, the one backup story by Jason Liu is just a cool little, you know, two pager. Right. But did, did that one the feel Mark like a hostess uh, a hostess fruit pie? Um, yeah, I don't know if you remember the old Hostess Fruit Pie uh, commercials. Did, did, did it kind of feel like that to you? Like I was almost going to go into that? A little. Yeah. A little. It definitely it definitely was reminiscent of that. I didn't even think of that when you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. But you know, now that you now now that you you know now that you uh, now that you say it, I look at it. I'm like, oh well, yeah, I kind of get that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the 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 long the longer backup story by Mark Wade and Paul Renault and and friends. Um, is a retelling of the FF's origin, and there are, and, and this is the updated retconned origin. Yes, because it is brought forward due to the rubber band time of Marvel. We're not talking about Reed to Ben and Johnny breaking in and stealing a rocket. You know, Reed is basically, bought, you know, he's basically uh, paid for this rocket and built it himself. Thanks to what he's inherit, you know, he's got money thanks to an inheritance, right? Mm-hmm. So, the one major uh, difference I think that we see here is a little bit of in-depth uh, study of the after effects of the emergence of the FF's power, specifically with Johnny. Right, the psychological part that that we never really got. Um... With the with their powers coming in the way they did, right. Well, with the exception of Ben, obviously at times, but just for but in this case, the whole group. Right. So, it, it was uh, that was a a, a a nice little deviation from this updated. Um, well, not even a deviation, just a a further study of this updated origin. You know, providing us with more depth to it. And not just you know not just a, a, a this updated retelling just for an anniversary issue. There was you know it's not just filler, 
Mm. There, there is something I think to this backup story. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Um, I guess there's one other from the, go, the going back to the main story real quick before we move on is like there, there was near the end touching upon there was a mention of uh, and what's probably going to be another upcoming uh, arc or beat or something in the FF uh, when the TVA uh, is talking to read um, uh, near the end of that story because they, they mentioned a certain war. Uh, and and not wanting to uh, not wanting to mess with Reed Richards, right before this said uh, war. I think you're um, muted. I was going to say, unfortunately, some of us who read comic book solicitations know that that is upcoming, right? Sooner rather than later, right? So, but yeah, but it's worth mentioning because we know it's coming one way or the mm. other. So, um, but yeah, otherwise. Solid, solid issue all the way around. Um, uh, uh, for an anniversary issue or 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 otherwise, definitely. Um, I think. I guess we want to go into Kang since uh, since we're kind of we're kind of here. Yeah, we can do this quickly because I think our real issue with this issue, no pun intended, mm-hmm. is that it it follows somewhat where we thought it might. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I I had I had guessed that we would see the appearance of a a variant of Kang, and we definitely did. We definitely did a couple uh, of them. But in terms of uh, where the story was going, it definitely took a swerve, and we were curious to see how this might play alongside what we saw in the pages of Fantastic Four. But we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. This is the second of a five-issue limited series. It is written by former guests of the pod, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Artist is The artist on this is Carlos Magno. Colors are by Espen Grundit-Yern. And... Letters are by, again, our Paisan, VC's Joe Caramagna. So, the, yeah, so um, the the basics of this one, not to, because we don't necessarily have to go too far into this, uh, we find that uh, young Nathan, a young version of Nathan Richards, uh, after no, his... Nathaniel. Nathaniel, excuse me, you're right. Um, Nathan Because Nathan uh, Richards might be another variant. <laughs> that might be, but I'm, I'm also conflating um, uh, Cable. Cause oh, Nathan Summers, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, Nathaniel, correct. Um, ends up going to ancient Egypt where he runs across Ramatut um, and also runs across a Moon Knight with a very familiar name to his history without spoiling in uh, that part. Um... But then it's I mean, kind that of, was a that was a surprise. Yeah, it was. I was like, oh, interesting. And just hold that thought. That was a surprise, and this is the first kind of crossover with other parts of the Marvel universe. Yes, that is correct. Um, because if you're, because if you're dealing with a, uh, Egypt in any in uh, any way, shape, or form, you know. Oh, and the, the Fantastic Four history specifically, you know that, hey, Ramatite was a thing. Uh, but what you don't think about readily in that is that um, there is a hero in the Marvel Universe uh, that we know of, that folks know of, that is about to get his own show called Moon Knight, who, um, who worships a, well, who he did worship, um, or he was the fist of Khonshu, which was an Egyptian god, um, who we've talked about relatively recently in uh, Avengers books, whatnot. But yeah, 
um, the the aspect of the moon shows up in this issue. Uh, and again, like I said, um, whose actual name is familiar to uh, Nathaniel um, Nathaniel Richards' history as Kang or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was an interesting little wrinkle there. Uh, and like we said, also, uh, we get a couple of, uh, we get a, actually a couple of variants of, um, for, of Kang's, like, um, actually, we don't even go into it. That, I don't know if this struck you as weird, but the one that we know that uh, deals with, let's say, the Young Avengers. Right. Like, I thought that one was kind of weird showing up, but I guess, it, but it's also an interesting transition into the one that actually does show up. Right. Well, ultimately, I don't remember what, what, what's great and what's bad about time travel is that it's so hard to remember how everything fits together. Right. And so what Roddy Cat is referring to is the Iron Lad mm-hmm. um, persona from Young Avengers. And what we find out, and you know, we don't really see how that fits in with the Young Avengers timeline, but what we find out is that that armor has a direct descendant, has a direct you know, Descendant, as I said, has a direct influence and effect on another variant of Kang, that mm-hmm. being Eric the Red. Or the Scarlet Centurion. Scarlet Centurion, yeah. Not Eric the Red. Eric yeah, the Red is Red's another X-Men. red-looking dude. <laughs> yeah, that's an that's a X-Men thing. Although an X-Men villain, accomplice, well, at this point, villain, also shows up in, in, the, um, in the course of this issue, and that being one... Um, uh, I just call him Apocalypse because I can't remember how his... And uh, Sabanur. Thank you. Uh, shows up because he was also around during this time for a period. And uh, apparently uh, Nathan's going to be um, uh, dealing with him in the next issue uh, in, in in a move to exact revenge on Kang. Which right. is his I mean, that's motivation. The, oh, go ahead. Finish no, your no, thought. I'm done. I'm done. I'll just jump in. I'm done. So the one advantage, the one good thing that time travel stories are, you know, the, the, uh, have the, you know, the one of the things I appreciate, I appreciate about time travel stories is that you can do what this issue does, which is bring these elements that have all existed in Marvel's past and would conceptually make sense existing around the same time and actually put them together in a story. True. And. It's interesting to see, and you really only get that through time travel slash flashback stories. So, uh, knowing that this is, you know, that that these that these particular concepts and characters existed concurrently, as opposed to in different periods of time, and you're looking at like uh, carvings in a wall that you know that that show oh there or or a or a stone tablet with etchings in it that show that Rama Tut existed here and apocalypse is holding the stone tablet looking at you know what happened in the past no we actually have that these things seem to happen not at the same time at the exact same time but happened in the the same general time period indeed indeed so yeah, we don't know where this where this uh, whole story is coming. We do know, as uh, Agent Seven said before the show, we, this is a uh, book two of five in this miniseries, right? Uh, so wherever this is leading us, I, 
I hope it's something interesting or, or leading into something else. Because a lot of times they don't, I mean, I would like to believe that there is, outside of the fact that I, we know that Kang is going to have a presence in the MCU and already has shown itself in Loki, um, the Loki miniseries. Uh, so this could just very well be like, hey, here's this character that's going to, you know, going to show up a little bit more going forward at various times <laughs> um, and possibly be the big bad you know and this is just to, to catch everybody up on his origin we don't necessarily know but that's probably as good as uh, good a place as any to, to place this so it might not go right. anywhere outside of that or they might be setting up something else for uh, for another um, uh, event in, in general. That being said, though, I guess, um, I don't know, do you, uh, you want to go rapid fire or you got another book you want to put out? No, we can go rapid fire because we've got a decent number of books to go through tonight. Okay, hit it. So I will spin that up as soon as I finish this one entry in my list and we can get this going. I ain't got time to bleed. Rapid fire. Alrighty, so uh, I guess I'll start. Sure. Uh, I am Batman, number one, written by John Ridley, with art by Olivier Coipel, with colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by ALW's Troy Pateri. So this is the first formal issue of uh, Jace Fox as uh, the current Batman in Gotham City. And I phrase it that carefully because that is what this uh, new status quo is in the Batman universe, where it is presumed by the general populace in Gotham that uh, the OG Batman is dead. Not the first time, folks, but we know that Bruce Wayne has left Gotham City. He's going to be in the Batman book, but in other parts of the world. I was about to say, yeah, and leaving again at some point soon. Right. And what we what we find is that um, Jace has decided to take up the mantle, but in his own way. I won't spoil it because I know that Roddy Cat is trying to keep up with this and mistakenly didn't read the uh, read this book this week. Um, I'm not so sure, but I guess what what, what what's making me hesitant uh, in terms of reading this book is that Jace has a particular attitude about how Batman operates. And the way I see it is that that was just a, a product of how he was written and, and where the writing of the character took him from the eighties to the nineties into the two thousands and tens and beyond. And obviously this Batman is meant to address some of the, um, real life issues that uh, can be addressed as metaphor in comics, but at the same time, I'm like, uh, so or, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it because the joke I'd make is, um, is it, it, something that Roddy Cat would get after he reads it. So I will save that for after he's read it. Next up is Eternals: Thanos Rises Number One. It's written by Kieran Gillen with art by Isad Rabich. Uh, colors are by Matthew Wilson and letters are by VCs Clayton Cowell. So this is a one shot. Um, the Eternals book is returning 
it is apparently on some sort of hiatus. Uh, what was... Actually, wait. I apologize. Eastside Beach did not do the art on this. It's actually Dustin Weaver. Eastside Beach does the cover. The art on this book is by Dustin Weaver, who is um, you know, definitely heavily influenced by Jim Lee, and you can see that in several of his uh, pages. I would say that this book is a retcon, but really much more of an in-depth retelling of the events that lead to the birth of Thanos. I don't say Thanos, it's Thanos. I'm not sure how people said Thanos. I'm pretty sure the Greek people that you know where the Thanos name comes from don't say Thanos, they say Thanos. Just, you know, I'm, I'm harping on that because I keep hearing people call him Thanos. But um, in any event, okay. uh, yeah, right here I am like harping on it, like, you know, just, just kind of rubbing it into people. Like, Come on, people, just let's get this right. It's a Euro, damn it. But uh, <laughs> uh, that would sound good, real good right about now also. But anyway, continue. right. So, as I said, that is the gist of the story. But. Beyond that, what we get is the rift between Eternals that led to the events that put together um, the two characters who would together uh, help to give rise to Thanos to you know to you know to, to to plant the seed you know quote unquote of Thanos, and this is probably going to be fertile ground for the Eternals movie to discover, or to, to cover, that sure. is, in the past, because this is definitely uh, uh, some retcon stuff going on in here. So they don't touch on anything in that last arc of um, Eternals, do they? No. No, no, this is a fully, this is fully a retcon story. Sure. You know, this is fully a, 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 a blast from the past retcon story. Gotcha. You know, but but what we get is, you know, the events that lead to the rise of Thanos, you know, which is, you know, what the title of the book is. So they are not lying when they say that. Sure. It's it's actually a worthy read for someone who has the barest smattering of an understanding of what the Eternals do. Mm-hmm. I thought that this was more so than the regular Eternals book that Kieran Gillen wrote and, and is writing so far. It was on hiatus, but it's going to come back soon. That was a tough read. It's been a tough read, I, 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 I admit. But this book was enlightening in a very real sense. So I would actually recommend this to Roddy Cat and to the readership and listenership and viewership of the Comic Book Chronicles if you want to figure out how we got to Thanos as an Eternal or a Deviant Eternal, as it were. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next up is Iron Man number 12. I know that Roddy Cat read this. It's written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Angel Unzueta and colors by Frank Darmada and letters by our Paisan, VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, Very briefly, Iron Man's team uh, is still on their way to Ta-2, Galactus' world ship. Iron Man and his... uh, uh, not as advanced tech brother, tech, uh, tech partner. What's the character's name? 
Oh, um, Avro he's Canadian. The Canadian Avro guy. X. Yeah, Avro X. Avro Rex. Avro. Yes, yeah, is Avro X. Oh, Avro X. Okay, yeah. sorry. I don't have the book in front of, open in front of me, so nah, so Avro sure X. because so, I didn't, I never knew this character either. So, right. Tony and 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 his Canadian counterpart. <laughs> Listen to me get around that. Tony and his uh, Canadian counterpart make their move through the defenses of Ta Two, and unfortunately run into uh, uh, a Corvax group, and they basically get their and 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 Corvax group basically hands Tony's uh, group uh, Tony's little duo's butts to them, and something bad happens to Avro X. Yeah, and um, not surprising. That's it. right, and that is the crux of this issue. It is, you know, the latest chapter of this uh, of their trip down to, uh, you know, trip down to uh, Tatu. Yeah. Also, the Manitoba Touring Board wrote part of this, <laughs> apparently. Probably. So, anyway. All right. Next up, I think you read this also. Last Annihilation, Wakanda number one. Yep. It's written by Evan Narcisse, with art by Herman Peralta, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Broad strokes. We finally get caught up on what is going on with um, the interplanetary kingdom of Wakanda. We catch up with how this plays into the events of the last annihilation because the events of the last annihilation are pretty staggering when it comes to the known galaxy, the known powers in the known galaxy of uh, the Marvel Universe. You know, we're talking about the Shi'ar, the Kree, um, the Skrulls, the uh, the Badoon, all you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the and and um, oh, what what is their? Jeez, I forgot their name already. What is the race of the aliens in uh, the first Avengers movie? Oh, the Chitarians. The Chitari, right? Yeah, Chitari. Even they have a small role in this, but ultimately, this is a big space-spanning adventure, and. We see how uh, the interplanetary uh, kingdom of Wakanda plays into this, what role they have in uh, stemming some of the t- the tide of, uh, you know, I won't, I won't spoil all of what's happening in this because we've touched on this here and there. Mm-hmm. But we do know, I can say, it's safe to say that Dormammu is behind this and there's some magic stuff going on. And the Wakandans have at least some measure have, have have enacted some measure of um uh, of defenses against uh, the magic with the aid of some mutant metal and you know we have just uh, you know a nice little issue filling in some of the gaps between some of the the the, the ongoing crossover issues some of the ongoing comics that are uh, fulfilling much of the uh, storytelling in these uh in this last annihilation miniseries or crossover series, that is. Mm-hmm. So anything I, to add? Yes. So um, I will add that one. If you are not uh, aware or, or abreast of what has been going on with the last version of Black Panther, then you would wonder why the world Wakanda has anything to do with this big spacefaring uh, uh, event going on. Well, that kind of puts them in so even even some someone even uh, us you would uh who have actually been reading it 
you would kind of be like, well, wait, what does they have to do with it outside of like, yeah, we know that there is now an intergalactic um, um, empire. Well, there was an intergalactic empire of Wakanda, so there, there basically is like another uh, a, a, a colon, space colony of uh, Wakandans out there, and they're relatively big. Uh, and this is partially why um, uh, Sword ends up asking T'Challa and company for help because of that, because of they have a big presence in space uh, now. And I would, one of, I would add, just just hold that point. I would add that luckily, the first part of the issue does a good job of recapping that. Yes, that is also true. Uh, and, it, and it even it closes in on one of the figures that was a, a, a part of uh, T'Challa's adventure in space, which was. Uh, uh, M'Baku, not the one that we know from Earth, but the one that was born in space, who has come to Earth to find, uh, who well, who's been still on Earth uh, after the events of uh, the Black Panther volume, the last Black Panther volume, and kind of in a place. So this is kind of more his issue than T'Challa, uh, than, than T'Challa or, or, or folks, because he's the one that's leading the mission with some, some familiar folks. Um... I think the one other thing I was even add in passing is that I think we get a, a little retcon into the origin of vibranium. Like we know it was a space. We already knew uh, vibranium was a space rock, but we come to find out here that there's a little bit more to it, or that it might have come out of um, um, a, one of the, or well, either the current or one of the the uh, past cosmic cycles that we know that is uh, that is in the the, the universe has, that we know the universe has sprung out of at large. So right. that is something. Think that of, is, yeah, I was, I was going to say, think of what Galactus survived. Exactly. And then we All got right. that. So next, yeah, keep on going. Next up, Marauders number twenty four. Did you read this? I did. This is a weird issue. <laughs> Written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto and letters by uh, art and col- including colors by Phil Noto and letters by VCs Cord Pettit. <coughs> so uh, a small contingent of the cast in Marauders find themselves on Arako. And they're there because. Well. Sebastian Shaw's is looking for a place to drink. Yeah, he was already there. The rest of them just so happened to, to, to come along. Right. And um, what, we, what we find is, uh, well, the, the rest of the, well, the, 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 the cast of the Marauders make their way to Arako on a, uh, on a ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally a flying saucer. Yes. And uh, Emma and Kate uh, strike out because you know, strike out to, you know, in a different direction because of uh, a spacefarer who is, who has landed on Arako asking specifically for um, uh, Emma Frost, uh, who was, who was originally headed towards Earth, but basically gets shot down uh, by um, the, the Peak 2 station that's um, uh, stationed above Arako. Mm-hmm. And Emma and Kate basically... Uh, deal with this uh, Mr. T wannabe and uh, okay sure I, I never thought that one but I was thinking more like Lando <laughs> kinda kind of a Lando Han Solo-ish kind of situation going on with this yeah dude. kinda I mean I was looking specifically at the Mohawk yeah I, yeah, I, no, I, 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 I wasn't thinking nothing about that but the way he came off was kind of was basically yeah like a space rogue yeah yeah, 
like a roguish person. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, now that I see it, you're right. It was more Lando, but I definitely was taken in by the by the uh, by the Mohawk. Mm-hmm. You know, and everything basically looks like um, looks like it's been settled. You know, someone's been paid off, but there is a double cross, and you know what Admiral Akbar would say to that? It's a trap. Yeah, it doesn't, and, it, uh, it doesn't go um, doesn't go well for some folks in the end. Right. We get the reappearance at the end of the issue by a character who apparently has uh, never gone away, despite the events of an uh, of a long ago annual. I right. think it was uh, or a classic X Men story. I think it was a classic X Men. It was a classic. X-Men remember, yeah, it was a classic X Men story that got brought up around the time of the like, probably right before or during the uh, the gala. Mm-hmm. as a backup story that kind of got um, brought back up. And yeah, this person happens to come back up because we kind of figured they would because right. they got brought up. And, right, And I'll end by saying that it's always interesting to see how affectionate these former Hellfire Club people are with Mr. Peepers. Yeah, right? Because <laughs> first it was Magneto. Uh, uh, um, uh, or these villain types, yeah. Right, yeah. In, a, in, um, in an early issue of... Uh, I think it was sword yeah it probably was sword uh uh at first it was magneto now it's emma and it was like oh, what the heck is peepers got up mr peepers got going on the way he's he's got such um such a such he's a, such a uh, yeah he's so popular yeah with 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 folks so it's like that was kind of funny when i got that part i'm like all right whatever peepers go ahead get yours <laughs> <laughs> but um they're just so happy to see him it's yeah. kind of weird like I would, yeah. I almost expected like uh, Fabian, uh, um, uh, um, Fabian to come around, but like, really, not you too? <laughs> but I think he's kind of in another place at this point. So it was like, you know. But also, you could also. Oh, this was the point I was going to make. It was like, not only there is a um, the, the figure that uh, Emma and Kate run into are is kind of a, a Lando Solo ish type situation, but the area they're in, you might as well say could be uh, Moss Eisley. Moss Eisley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that part was kind of funny. That synergy just goes, just just going a long way. Uh, at this point, you gotta love it. But anywho, yeah, 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 that is an excellent point. All right, um, next, the Mighty Valkyries number five. This is the last of this five issue limited series. Uh, it's written by Jason Aaron and Torun Grombeck. It's not Grumbel. That is a typo on my part. In my notes, I am going to fix that right now. That is a fat finger typo, folks. The art is by Mattia Deulis, and letters are by VCs Joe Sabino. So, um, all's well that ends well in this uh, mini series that introduced the, I guess, closest adaptation to. Uh, the Valkyrie character that's in the MCU and bringing that character to the uh, the 616 Marvel Universe. We have some interesting goings on in Hell but and a fight for the, uh, the crown uh, or the throne of Hell between Fafnir the dragon, Hela, and whatever, ha- whatever is happening to Carnilla. That there's some, you know, stuff going on that I was not, uh, not made aware of prior to this issue or prior to this uh, series that is. So I need to do a little bit of research uh, to figure out how all that stuff fits together. Ultimately, we have some uh, very loose 
trans uh, loose uh, loose playing around with uh, Norse mythology, and you know that's that's the the, the stock and trade of uh, the Thor books and Thor related books. So uh, in that sense, it's a pretty solid book. We also find out at the end of this that uh, that Jane Foster's Valkyrie may be joining the Avengers in Avengers number 750 on sale in two months in November. So, da, da, da. Oh, nice. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, you know, the uh, old order changeth, as uh, the <laughs> saying goes in Avengers. Well done. Last but not least, last but not least, is X-Men The Trial of Magneto number two of five. So, we pick right where we left off in the last issue where, uh, you know, we find out that not everything is as it seems in the death of the Scarlet Witch. That's not that big a spoiler. But at this point, there are some serious uh, things going on on Krakoa. The first being Professor Xavier and Hope Summers actually invading the privacy of Magneto's mind, trying to figure, trying to get him to confess. Confess, damn it. Meanwhile, uh, I'm reminded actually here that the Hellfire Gala did not take place on Krakoa, but on a uh, on a nearby, not a, maybe not a close by island, but yeah, you know, close enough. Yeah, exactly, close enough, where they are basically taking the very first official guests, official guests to Krakoa. That being a team of Avengers looking to collect the remains of one. Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch. And during the course of the tour, we find that the X-Men cleverly disguise their um, uh, their rebirth chambers, as it were. <laughs> yes. And we also see that uh, not everything, as I said, is as it seems because Magneto apparently looks to confront the Avengers and seemingly confesses, but again, not all is as it seems because we get to the end of the issue after some fisticuffs, because it is a comic book under the auspices of Marvel, after all, that uh, a certain character reappears as if nothing has happened and seeks to rekindle a relationship that we had thought long gone? Yes. So, or long, you know, long past. Yes. So ultimately, well, they've, 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 let's say they've been at least cordial uh, uh, at various times where they've, where they've, um, they've been around each other. But yeah, mm-hmm. definitely not back to this point to where, to what we see at the end of this issue. But also, right. I don't think you, I don't think you said the, um, the creative team. Oh, I apologize. It's written by Leah Williams with art by Lucas Werneck. Colors are by Edgar Ed, uh, Edgar Delgado and uh, Edgar Delgado and letters are by VCs Clayton Cowles. I think I was just so amped up to get into the hijinks of the issue. Anything yeah, to add? Yeah, because yeah, because like you said before the show, like this was kind of a weird uh, issue at the end. I'm like, like, because as you said, like first. They go to first. This big fight happens, and then Magneto's like, "Oh, I give up. I, I did. I did it. This, this is a thing." And then what we come to find out at the end of the uh, the issue, 
is what it is. So that part right there was kind of a head scratcher. Like, well, first you wanted them off the island, and then you go into this big fight, and then you basically confess and and try to turn yourselves over to them. Like, what's what's all that about? Right. So yeah, there's still a, apparently there's still a little bit more going on uh, in, uh, in in this um, in this ministry that I guess we'll find out hopefully. Like how this character come back comes back for for instance, because that's the main thing I want to know. Yeah, that's not in the way that we know that it, this character could come back, but doubtful that it, that it was the case. Who did it in the first place and why? You know, is, you know, there are still questions up in the air about this whole thing and why did that last part happen the way it did? I guess, or that part. But why did the the the, the Magneto part happen the way it did? Also, because apparently maybe he knows something or something. We don't even know. But regardless, we'll find out. I hope. Yep, and that's it for me. All right, so going on to mine then. Uh, where are we? Batman eighty nine number two. Uh, let's see. Writer Sam Ham. Art by Joe Quinones. Um, colors by Leonardo Ito, which weirdly reminds me of Quick Kick from uh, GI Joe. Um, and letters by Clayton Cowell. Someone will get why that why I said that why that reference started. But anyway, um, I thought you were going to reference OJ. But anyway, oh no. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, uh, like so that's I, Edo. That's the Edo I think of. Oh no, I honestly didn't even think about that. No, the judge. No, I didn't. I totally didn't. No, and that's only because I've been watching a lot of GI Joe lately on YouTube. So that's probably got it. Probably got it, got it. Quickly, but uh, at any rate, so Batman eighty nine number two takes place after the uh, well, it takes place in the world of Batman eighty nine the movie. After the events of the movie, um, and I think you might have to do it. It's so this one's kind of weird because there are people who show up here, like I said the last time we talked about this, who didn't show up in the movie but shows up here in way, shapes, and forms. Uh, so there's basically taking the world of the movie and fitting it more into the DC landscape because you see some stuff that is more familiar to uh, uh, Batman readers such as uh, a certain giant penny um, we find out where where the Harvey Dent of this world is from and the neighborhood that he's from um, right. and his relationship with uh, a certain commissioner's daughter which granted that's not you know th- which is again like I said nothing that happens in the movies um, and, and nor was there even, even in the hint for it. But I think this issue, now that I think about it, this issue kind of goes away to mention why that is in a, in a, in a way. And I guess it kind of makes sense given. So, and there's also some real world allegories that kind of show up that show up here kind of, uh, like, uh, in the form of certain things that people do in riot, certain, Phrases that were definitely not around back in nineteen uh, in in eighty nine that show up here like code switching uh, shows up. It was like that's <clears throat> kind of weird. Like we we've talked about this at times uh, during the show where um, certain languages certain language that is used now get written into books in 
time periods that they would never sh- that they they would have never been originally in, and sometimes that's kind of grating. Uh, and this one, this one's kind of it's like yeah, it's a little weird about that, but yeah, uh, I was gonna say maybe not grating, but definitely it's kind of grating to me. <laughs> no, no, what I was gonna say, well, it may be grating to Roddy Cat. What it does do, I think, in general for most readers, is that it uh, it, it, it stops people. It suspends the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. You know, and it takes you out of the story because you're like, wait a second. That, they didn't say that in the 60s. Exactly. And in this case, they didn't say that in 89. Exactly. So that being the case, it kind of was like, all right, yeah. But, it, yeah, like I said, there's, there's some stuff that, that uh, there's some current day allegories uh in this that um that are showing up in here and i'm not saying it's it's bad but i'm I'm, but i can see some people kind of getting put off by it but but also the people that would get put off by it are probably people who are not great people and who would be against it now like in real life for because they're stupid and, Mm. and they're and they're not great people but that's beside the point um uh but in this case like i said we get we get a little bit of we get a definitely a little bit of different of a bruce wayne uh, in this one because there have been people who were like you know what bruce should do this instead of this and in this uh particular story he kind of tries to do some of that um so you know again stuff that would never have been had never been shown up in any of the movies uh, or any of the earlier movies, or actually any of the movies, probably in that point. Uh, point. And also, we also get um, another character who doesn't like. I'm not entirely sure what the time frame is after the first uh, issue is, but I'm almost fairly certain that the character that shows up near the end of this book is a character doesn't doesn't show up until the next movie uh, in the series. Okay. But would have been introduced and pretty much born in the next movie. But the character as they are, when it shows up here, is already fully, or pretty much as they are. So that's kind of weird, also. So I don't know if there's a, they're they're definitely messing with the time frame between the two movies or what's going on there. Like it's kind of weird. Um, but anyway, like I said, it's still a kind of sort of interesting read. That being the case, but the the, the fact that they're playing around in the world of the movies is, is um, interesting in itself but some of the things they're doing might be a little bit off-putting or a little little different than what you would think for trying to keep into that world anyway, uh, next book Titans United number 1 written by Kevin Scott uh, pencils by Jose Luis inks by Jonas Trindad uh, Trindad Sure, we'll, we'll go with that. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. Colors by Rex Locus. Uh, letters by Carlos M. Manguel. So, apparently the, the the team ends up fighting this person who ends up having all of their powers, but he starts off like Cyclops before any of them shows up, which is kind of strange considering like they end up figuring out they fighting, they're, they're fighting their own powers. Um... Uh, even in the end of this issue, um, they still haven't figured out what's, um, what caused that uh, before being called by uh, Hawk and Dove. 
to take care of another, let's say, lesser uh, DC villain. Uh, uh, may it be a third string villain that's giving them issues because of a possible seeming power upgrade. Um, but uh, that's the, that's where this is going. Uh, this is, I'm not sure what this what time frame this is supposed to be set in, but the team of Titans that's presented here looks like a mix of a couple of different uh, versions of Titans. Because you got like Superboy in here, and you also got like Red Hood, who I don't think was been a Titan that I know of. But also, you have the core, you know, the core Titans um, in attendance also as they're doing this. Uh, I believe this is one of five. I'm not actually sure how many issues this is. I have to look that up. But um, but while I go on, I'll I'll look that up. Uh, let's see what's next. Eels, Spider Woman number fifteen. Uh, written by Carla Pacheco, art by Perry Perez, color artist Frank Darmada, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is one is a potential click of the week, uh, just like um, the Fantastic Four issue is. I don't know if uh, Agent Seventy plans on reading this or not. I am on and off this book. Right. You know, I don't know if I, I'm so keen on this whole like extended family thing that they're trying to establish. Mm-hmm. I may have to go back and reread it. Well. You might, you may or may not want to, you may want to check this out because we do get a little bit of backstory about a certain member uh, of this extended family uh, while this issue is going on. Um, we also get a Doogie Howser reference, which I don't know anybody who would get that outside of uh, people of a certain vintage out, and outside of the fact that there is a new Doogie Howser on Disney Plus right now, which Right. right. What I was going to say is, yeah, it's it's probably in the um, it's not exactly the zeitgeist, but I would say that I think a reference to it wouldn't be so foreign now. Right. Yeah, especially since there is a, a another version of that right mm-hmm. now in Disney Plus. But outside of that, um, like I said, the the crux of the the issue is kind of um, coming off of last issue. We get the the backstory about the certain character. And possibly a little bit on the machinations of the one, the new character that was introduced last uh, issue that, um, that is, um, as I think I said then, a thorn in Jessica's side, who is also has similar powers to her, uh, thanks to another family member. Well, thanks to, um, her manipulating another family member of, uh, Jess's. So there is that. Uh, next up is W.E.B. Uh, of Spider-Man number five. This is the last issue of this uh, miniseries uh, written by Kevin Shinnick, uh, art by Alberto Albuquerque, color artist uh, Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by V.C.'s Joe Sabino. So if you didn't know about this book, this was a, uh, a miniseries based off of a um, an amusement park ride um, that I think is... Oh, an attraction at the very least uh, that is out or is already out. I don't know what's going on with the thing because I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the outside world. But regardless, um, WB is this, um, I believe, the the World Engineering Brigade or something like that. And it's a bunch of the smartest people in uh, the Marvel Universe uh, that have gotten together as a little think tank. So you got Peter Parker, you got um, uh, Lunella Lafayette. Uh, Anome from Wakanda. You got um, 
uh, Harley uh, from Iron Man three. Um, oh, Squirrel Girl also is in this. But then uh, they the, they come across uh, Amadeus Cho in the last issue, uh, and the big bad of this issue uh, of this series has been revealed, who is basically a fake Mundelstrom with a very terrible name. Uh, but regardless, it doesn't matter because uh, this group ends up um, saving the day and uh, potentially getting into the Hall of Heroes, which is something that get brought up got brought up in this issue. Uh, but also, there was a weird thing that uh, that uh, that uh, that um, that happened near the end of the thing. It was like there was a so they're in Paris and they're at the Louvre and this Hall of Heroes is a new exhibit and they had a picture of the original, what seems to be the original Avengers. However, the original Avengers lineup was missing a couple of people and had Black Widow in rip in place of at least one of them. So I'm sitting here like, I don't know where this Avengers came from, but that is not definitely not, um, <laughs> the original Avengers that, that, uh, that, that we know of. Right. So. So that one, that one kind of was kind of weird to me, but you know, it is what it is. Um, there was also seemingly a lettering typo on one of the pages, but it's kind of uh, that thing. It, it happens, folks. You know. Uh, next up, and last for me, time before time number five, which is uh, I believe an IDW book. Um, as I bring that up real quick to make sure if that's the case. Image, excuse me, it's an image book. Um, my apologies. Uh, and it is written by Declan Shalvey with Rory McInville, uh, art by Joe Palmer, colors by Chris O'Halloran, letters by Hassan Asmani Alawal. Excuse me. Um, and I've talked about this book in the past. There's, it, there's a, it's a, some time, timey wimey that's going on here. There's definitely a, it's a time travel book. So if you like that kind of stuff, um, this might be of interest to you. Um, but basically, after the events of last issue, uh, Tatsu, or the main character, was sent on a mission, uh, and his... Uh, I can't really call her a traveling car partner because she kind of stowed away and caused started uh, a lot of this trouble in herself, was being held captive in another time while he's been sent to a different time. But she plots her escape, so... Uh, and ends up causing... Um, a little more trouble for them at the end of this book, which I, I is, which is going to um, probably come to bear. Um, but Tatsuo kind of ends up with a an old younger acquaintance of his through some time shenanigans, and uh, you know, ends up getting some ends up um, making a switch that that helps them out more than than um, than. And hurts the situation. What is it going to do to this other person? We don't know because time, and I guess we'll find out. So there's that, and that, folks, is the end of the books for me. Clicks of the week. All righty, clicks of the week. Uh, actually, we don't have anything from our absent uh, co-hosts because. Yep, they are not keeping up, folks. Yeah, basically. So they're not keeping up. So between the two remaining co-hosts that are here, um, 
I think my candidates are probably one that I think Roddy Cat and I have in common and one that's a bit of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four number 35 is just a quality, quality read all the way around. Mm-hmm. And the other one, surprisingly, is that Eternals Thanos rises number one. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I'm still considering. What about you? Um, I'm thinking, yeah, for, so the candidates for me is definitely that, that Fantastic Four number 35, um, uh, Last Annihilation, uh, Annihilation of Wakanda was actually pretty good, personally. Um, Spider-Woman, also pretty, pretty good. But I think I'm actually going to go with uh, Fantastic Four number 35. Um, because like you said, it was a pretty, uh, great issue all around. So, uh, whenever you get yours, oops, while I fill that in, I definitely want to check out that I am Batman though, because yeah, I've been pretty much keeping up on, on that part of that and I don't know how I missed that this week. Although there were a couple of, I guess while Agent 70 is making up his mind, we I can safely say that there, that um, Batman Day is coming up, I believe. And there are some Batman, a couple of Batman Day books that are out. Um, so yeah, there, there's a couple of different Batman book, uh, Batman books for folks who like Batman uh, for your perusal. Um, also, I think we talked about this last week, uh, in that, uh, Marvel Unlimited has, uh, some, uh, Infinity, uh, comics that they started putting out, and I don't know if Agent 70 has read any of them, but a couple of them are actually kind of de- uh, kind of good. Yeah, I read the, Unca- I read the X-Men book. Yeah, same. Um, but I, I'm behind, I, I don't think I touched it since the, since this previous weekend. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think they come out on a weekly basis. I believe so, yeah, because I know one of something got a, a new issue um, recently. I can't remember if it was the X Men one or not. Um, wanted to read that that Shang Chi one also, but I didn't get a chance to. Oh, I was about to say the Shang Chi one has is like a complete four issue thing. Oh, is it? They're fair, yeah. Huh. It's like a complete four issue little little mini series. So, okay. you know, they have the whole story online. The other ones are coming out, I believe, on a weekly basis. Right. So I think I'm going to go with Fantastic Four number 35 as well. No good! No good! Suck it, Washington! Oh my God. He is not uh, obviously talking about Fantastic Four. He is talking about the... Uh, the, the oh, they game. called the flag! Are you kidding me? I am not editing this. Oh out. my gosh, are you kidding me? And if uh, my apologies to you, well, no, he should be the one apologizing to your ears for that outburst, but... <laughs> um, you gotta be kidding me. Alright, so we're gonna go swiftly into the news section, so how about... Um, oh, up- they're killing me! So how about let's rev up an ad read, please? Ah, uh, it's... Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron. Always ship free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Combo Chronicles can get 
$30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. That, uh, then click on the Keep Our Podcast. Damn it! <sighs> focus? I'm going to need you to focus. <laughs> click on the Keep Our Podcast free link at the top of the page. Daniel Jones sucks! At the top of the page from there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your first order. Blue Apron through CSPN.us. Do it today. Daniel Jones, you suck. Jason Garrett, you suck. And this is Joe why... Judge, you can't manage a clock for anything. And this is why we don't watch things while we're recording a podcast. So let's go to the So we are multitasking news. tonight. We are watching Not well. uh, Thursday Night <laughs> Football. And I was multitasking right up until the end of the stupid game. Are you kidding me? Oh, all right. Cinematic news. Kidding me with this. Kidding me with this. (sighs) Go ahead. I was waiting for the the stinger, but okay. Oh, Um, cinematic news. I repeat, I'm cutting none of this out. Star Trek Picard season two. No need to. No need to cut anything. Star Trek features time travel. And it's not the first time it's happened either. No, it is not. And it's not the first time I've said I wasn't going to cut it out either. But anyway, as a part of Star Trek Days, Paramount Plus has released a new trailer for the second season of Star Trek Picard, which features a lot of faces that should be familiar to Star Trek fans. Uh, The trailer begins with... uh, John Luke Picard back and forth. You know what? I'm not going to go through all of this, but basically, hey, Q shows up, folks. Um, an older-looking Q, but then again, you know, to, they, I'm sure they will explain that some kind of way. Um, and there's a trailer that you can watch if you haven't already because this news has been out for a good minute. So, next. The new Warriors showrunner reveals Squirrel Girl pictures and says the Marvel show was, quote, too gay for a TV executive. Um... Beagle, this is New Warriors showrunner Kevin Beagle, reveals behind-the-scenes content from the canceled Marvel show and sheds some light on what happened to it. Update to the story is that Beagle has seemingly deleted his tweets, joking that he let Ryan Reynolds take over his Twitter for a night. You can read this article as it originally appeared. So Beagle revealed a slew of behind-the-scenes content from the canceled Marvel TV show, including our very first look at Milana Weintraub in costume as the unbeatable Marvel Comics superhero Squirrel Girl. Um, He then penned a longer post explaining there's a show we wrote a few years ago. It was very proudly gay, a singular power that B killed the show because it was too gay, a rich, straight Brentwood turd. Okay. He got fired for being vile at his company. We, on the other hand, live. Hashtag new warriors. Okay. Yes, and if you're watching the video, you can see uh, the pictures of uh, Milana Weintraub, a.k.a. the the AT&T girl, um, in costume. Yes. (laughs) Next up, Hawkeye trailer sets unique... Wait. Yes, right. Yes. Uh, Hawkeye trailer sets sets unique tone for Marvel series. So, yes, folks, there was a trailer for the upcoming Hawkeye series that apparently um, Jeremy Renner did say was coming uh, at some point. Um, And sure, it showed up, what, Thursday, I believe. 
not Thursday. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, Monday morning. Um, and yes, it is taking up after the superb uh, Matt Fraction David Aha run um, that we figured it was going to, and also uh, introduce uh, Kate Bishop into the Marvel Cinematic U. So if you haven't seen that by now, there also there's also people speculating that the Kingpin is possibly due to show up in this uh, and possibly, um, um, uh, what's his face's version of it, uh, whose name is now escaping me. I don't know. Why. Vince D'Onofrio. Yes, Vince D'Onofrio. <laughs> yes, exactly. But we there is no, there is no. There's no Arlie Army because he has since passed away. Rest in peace. Well, there is also that, but there's also no. Uh, there's nothing saying that outside of the fact that a character that we know is showing up, Echo, is uh, was apparently trained Over by the. MCU has done a lot. Sorry about that. Okay, that was I trained up, by the. I opened the, up the next story. Yeah, I opened up the next story yeah. for for, for Reese's. Yeah, but um, so there is that, and uh, November twenty fourth, we will, I'm sure, find out what the deal is. Uh, there is definitely some stuff if you've read that uh, Fraction Aha run of um, of um, Hawkeye. Some things in the trailer definitely uh, um, show themselves apparent. Uh, like I don't know, did you see the uh, trailer? You watched the trailer? Of course, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I thought that. Um, I don't know if it would make people who just don't care for Hawkeye care more or yeah, if they would just care about the story because they're introducing a new character who seems to be another Hawkeye, mm-hmm. you know, especially for movie fans, people who are movie fans only. Yeah, some would argue um, a better Hawkeye. But what's that? Some, would argue, some have argued a better Hawkeye because of the MCU version of Hawkeye, but... Right, but what I would say is, you know, I, I have a soft spot for this comic book run anyway, so I'm I'm already a mark. I'm sold on Same. this. So, you know, just seeing the two together and have this be the introduction of Kate Bishop, hey, I'm okay with that. And the fact that they're taking beats from the run uh, and a couple of different, uh, a couple of different actual beats from the um, from the from the comic book run is great. I actually feel like I might reread that run. Yeah, I think it's a good. I think that's a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, because I have the omnibus, but also all the issues. So it's gonna be great. Um, also, if you um, speaking of which, if you are if you happen to check out the show notes uh, in the clickbait section, there are a couple of articles that um, that um, have something to do with the said uh, Hawkeye show in one way or the other, including something that. Um, uh, a couple of things that showed up in the um, in the trailer, so definitely go check that out if you are so inclined. Next up, uh, here we go. Stop. Yeah, exactly. It's going to play, so that's why I'm just going to read our notes. Wandavision won three Creative Arts Emmys during the weekend during this past weekend. Uh, outstanding original music and lyrics for Agatha all along. And outstanding fantasy sci-fi costumes filmed before a live studio audience and outstanding production design for a narrative program half hour. That's pretty cool. Good for them. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And, you know, Agatha all along was a bop, so it deserved a win. Mm-hmm. Um Shazam's Zachary Levi discusses Marvel's Thor 2 Broken Promise. Uh, apparently, well, so 
folks may know Zachary Levi before he got the role of Shazam was in the Thor movies as one of the Warriors Three. Didn't live that long after the in um well didn't live that long <laughs> in the MCU, much less, you know. Um Well actually that was right where they got all taken out. But um apparently um Zachary Levi was saying that um he enjoyed his um he said, uh, working on Thor was a dream come true. Grew up uh, devouring Marvel comic books. Uh, he was a, definitely a Marvel kid, but he's playing Sam, so yeah, sure. Uh, so it was cool. I was very grateful that I got to be a part of that. Um, oh, it says he, he had to pass on playing Fandro in 2011's Thor due to commitment to uh, Chuck. Um, he assumed the world in for The Dark World. Uh, when the original actor Josh Dallas fouled out due to his own commitments to Once Upon a Time. Uh, to be honest, I had seen the first store and didn't really like, feel like the the Warriors 3 were used all that well. So I was like, hey, are you going to actually use these folks? And they said, oh yeah, we're going to use them a, uh, a lot in Thor of the Dark World. They kind of didn't. Um, so he, so Zachary Levi shot, uh, signed up for it, and apparently that didn't happen, and they ended up getting killed in Ragnarok. So, yeah. So he was just kind of recounting that whole uh, thing. But he's got Shazam now, so it doesn't matter. Next up. Next up. <clears throat> Here's a report that a Marvel Zombies live-action project may actually be in development. So... Thanks to the Marvel Studios Disney Plus series, What If, there is um, renewed interest in Marvel Zombies. And according to Mark Miller, a live action project may also be in the works. In Miller's newsletter, you know, some people say Millar, but it's actually pronounced Miller. Yeah. The writer discussed Marvel Zombies on the heels of the latest What If episode, footnoting an an anecdote about the original story by writing, if, quote, if his sources are correct, a little live-action Marvel Zombies is further down the line, but you never heard that from him. You know, you, you know, he's not one to gossip, but you ain't heard it from him. Exactly. <laughs> not like that's right. not right there in his, in, his, in his newsletter, but sure. Uh, Netflix's Tomb Raider anime taps Captain Carter's... Uh, okay. Um... Haley Atwell, okay, she's Peggy Carter. You didn't have to, you know, but still, what way the other works out? As Laura Croft. Um, Carter will meet Croft in the upcoming Tomb Raider anime series. Ha ha ha. Netflix and Legendary TV Television, the TV branch of the movie studio Legendary Pictures, have announced that Haley Atwell has been cast as the voice of the spelunking adventurer Laura Croft in their upcoming anime adaptation of Tomb Raider. The news series will be written and executive produced by Tasha Hugh. Um, I'm not sure if that's how I pronounce her name, so I apologize. Uh, who also worked on Netflix's The Witcher Blood Origin. Uh, DJ2 Entertainment founder and CEO Demetrium Johnson, who previously worked on the movie adaptation of Sonic the Hedgehog. And uh, some other people. So, stories about the story details about the new Doom Raider series are scant. But the official synopsis reveals that it will continue the continuity last seen in 2018's video game Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So, okay, so I guess it's, so it's newer, younger um, um, Lara. Cool. Next. 
Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie. Who do you know him as? Sam Wilson. Sam Wilson. The rest of us remember him as uh, Clarence from 8 Mile. Roddy Cat hasn't watched that movie, so he doesn't also, have the reference. Well, honestly, I well, if you were thinking about it that way, um, I can't remember his character's name, but whatever his character's name was from He Hate Me. Oh, I don't remember that either. Yeah, that was his. I think that's that was one good, of his first roles. That was might have been his first his breakout role. That's a good one. I'll have to, we'll have to check that after the show. But in this news, Anthony Mackie's going to star in PlayStation's PlayStation's upcoming yeah. live action adaptation. Oh, with the video games of Twisted Metal, playing the amnesiac John Doe, as reported by Deadline, Mackie will lead in the latest video game adaptation. From PlayStation products with a lead star on board, PlayStation is now planning to shop the series to potential buyers. Okay. No one asked for a Twisted and Married Old series. Don't know why we're getting it, but here we are, folks. Uh, if folks don't know, Twisted Metal was basically uh, a car combat game. Um, yeah, a uh, series, and I don't know. Sure. Next up. <laughs> Uh, Matt Wagner's classic assassin uh, Grendel nabs his own live-action Netflix series. Uh, according to Deadline... Well, one, according to uh, this article, Netflix has ordered an eight-episode series based on uh, Matt, Matt Wagner's Dark Horse comics titled Grendel. Now, according to Deadline, Katie Keene's um, Abu Bakr... Ali will play the uh, eponymous anti-hero Hunter Rose, uh, a.k.a. Grendel, and is joined by uh, Jamie Ray, I'm going to assume that's Jamie Ray Newman as Jocasta Rose, Julian Black Antelope as Argent, uh, Madeline Zima as Liz Sparks, Kevin Corrigan as uh, Barry Palumbo, uh, Emma Ho as Stacey Palumbo, Eric Palladino as Terry Cicerone, uh, Brittany Allen as Annabelle Wright and Andy Mentius, uh, excuse me, as uh, Larry Stoller. Uh, Andrew Dabb is show's showrunner, writer, and executive producer with Mike Richardson, Keith Goldberg, and Chris Tong serving as EPs. So if you know or even remember Grendel at this point, I guess this is for you. Next. Next up in some sad news, Star Wars voice actor Tom Kane has had to retire after suffering a stroke, a debilitating stroke, in late 2020. Uh, The official Wikipedia Twitter account shared the news over the weekend, over this past weekend, by resharing a post from Kane's family. Um, Let's see. So the damage to his speech center is just too severe. That's very, very sad. Uh, let's see. Uh, the prolific voice actor's family first announced he had a stroke in December. I'm just looking for some of the... Oh, Kane is probably best known for providing the voice of Yoda in Star Wars The Clone Wars and in several other Star Wars productions. He was also known as a recurring voice for Admiral Akbar. It's a trap! Outside of the Star Wars universe... Kane con- contributed to cartoons including the Powerpuff Girls, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, etc., etc. Okay. Yeah, That's some he, sad, sad news. Yeah, I believe he was also the narrator of the Clone Wars series. Uh, also. So, yeah. 
Next up, um, a live action She-Ra series is in development at Amazon. Uh, Amazon Studios is developing a live action series based on She-Ra. Uh, the project is in early development, and DreamWorks and animation, uh, excuse me, and DreamWorks animation it will serve as executive producer on the series. They recently produced the Netflix animated series She-Ra and the Princess of Power. Uh, it is explained that this live action version of She-Ra will be quote unquote a new standalone story and will not be connected to the animated show. Um, and this article postulates that uh, they think that um, yeah, that makes sense because that they think it makes sense because of the different uh, differences in production for the different shows. So there you go. Uh, I don't think we have. No, we don't have a date for it. We just know that it's going to be a thing. Next. All righty. Warner Brothers Animation's Batwheels is making a major change to the Batman status quo. As revealed in the new Batwheels casting announcement, Duke Thomas, a once codenameless superhero who eventually became known as The Signal, has been promoted to Robin for the animated series. Voiced by A.J. Hudson, he's described as the boy wonder who loves sinking his teeth into a great detective mystery while he strives to prove himself alongside Batman. Okay. Yes. Uh, Funimation returns to New York Comic Con with My Hero Academia Demon Slayer events. Um, so yeah, uh, New York Comic Con will host Funimation's Sakura Park, uh, a fully decorated, and I know somebody's going to talk about my um, pronunciation of Sakura, but shush. Uh, a fully decorated. What is anim- it supposed to be? Is it supposed to be Sakura? Sakura. Yeah. Um, a fully decorated anime sanctuary for con goers to enjoy. Uh, according to Funimation, the park will feature aesthetic backdrops, ideal for photo opportunities, and will be decorated with faux cherry blossom trees uh, and some other stuff, uh, food trucks, uh, and some other stuff. Um, hopefully, if uh, Agent Seventy, well, Agent Seventy is going to New York Comic Con, so hopefully, we yes, get I pictures. only have right because uh, because of uh, the uh, COVID restrictions and and the and the and the lesser capacity, I was only able to get Sunday uh, a Sunday ticket. Mm. So uh, ultimately, I'll just be there on Sunday, which kind of sucks, but hopefully, I'll be able to make the most of it, and I'll be I'll be sure to try to get to. Um, be sure to try to get to this uh, Funimation event because I am a Funimation subscriber. And funny you should mention that because um, the Funimation will host a subscriber-only party several blocks away from the convention at the Press Lounge on October 7th, which will feature anime-themed drinks, uh, photo booths, and other activities. The party oh, that will... sucks. It's not going to be on Sunday, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the party will be free to all Funimation uh, subscribers, though attendees will have to via RSVP in advance. Be 21 years of uh, age of older, obviously. Um, and show their Comic-Con badge, proof of their Funimation subscription, and proof that they have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Right. I mean, I could show up on that Thursday. The 7th is a Thursday. Right. So I could show up for the party, but I wouldn't be able to go into the con itself. Right. So yeah, but there's and there's going to be other stuff like the aforementioned uh, there's a, a My Hero Academia paddle and a uh, Demon Slayer. Um, oh, they're going to be screening the um, the Demon Slayer movie. Oh, Mugen Train. Yeah, oh, um, I watched it already. 
Yeah, well, show me the My Hero Academia. Um, man, I hate. Shout out to uh, Van Lathan of uh, the Ringerverse who continuously uh, calls it like My Hero Macadamia Nut or something like that. <laughs> so you know, I keep wanting to say it that way. But uh, what I was gonna what I was gonna mention is um, still can't find uh, any way, legitimate or otherwise, to watch the uh, the recent My Hero Academia. Uh, movie that was just released at the what August? That sounds right. Yeah, in August. So um, still looking for a way to watch that. And I still haven't seen the the, the first season, much less that. So I'm still behind. Uh, but apparently, the, oh, they're... oh yeah, the first season of uh, Demon, Demon Slayer. Slayer. I got yeah. you. So oh wait, so it says here that um, well, one two things. That's going to be a Saturday screening for that for the for the demon for for Mugen Train, and it looks like there is going to be a another panel for the uh, highly anticipated World Heroes Mission movie, um, which they're going to release in the states and Canada in theaters on October twenty ninth. Right, that's on Friday. They're going to have a panel. Ugh. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have the the English cast. I don't need the yes. English cast. No offense. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one, but you know, no offense to them because I'm sure they're good. Uh, anyway, that's that, folks. Uh, so if you're around up in those parts uh, during uh, New York Comic Con and you're Funimation and you're fully vaxxed and uh, are a Funimation uh, subscriber, have at it. Right. You can also watch the videos and live streams through Comic Con Week on on uh, social media. That is also true. And on the official YouTube channel for Funimation. Yep, yep. Next up. Uh, okay. Uh, I will get to what's next up. Oh, this is interesting because I am still in the midst of my uh, binge of Cowboy Bebop. It is <laughs> slow going. Okay. I don't. I can't explain why it's so slow to me, <laughs> but it is just slow going. Actor Daniela Pineda. I have a theory on that, but that's, we'll talk about that later. Actor Daniela Pineda is taking on one of the most iconic characters in anime with her role as Faye Valentine in Netflix's live-action reboot, not reboot, adaptation, maybe, of Cowboy Bebop. She knows that she doesn't look exactly like Faye, and she has very good reasons for not caring. Okay. I love the energy she put behind this. What's that? I I love the energy she put behind this. Right. In a story on her Instagram, Pineda responded to criticisms about her casting in the show and the costume she wears that followed the cowboy Bebop first look images. In the video, which has since gone viral, she explained, I just wanted to address a couple of things that sort of keep coming up in the comments amongst fans. They went on to make it clear that the reason she isn't a perfect match for Faye's body type is because the animated character's proportions don't exist in reality. I beg to differ. I think surgery can help with that. But... Um, <laughs> But in all seriousness, folks, I said that firmly, planting my tongue firmly in cheek. We don't want uh, to to have you uh, undergo unnecessary surgeries just to look like a cartoon character because we know there are people out there who do that. And that is just not mentally right. Slightly ridiculous. Uh, What's that? Slightly ridiculous, and some would say. Right. So ultimately... um, she also says that uh, the outfit is not exactly what's in the anime because, uh, you know, they tried doing the stunts in it, but, you know, the, the clothes just didn't stack up. So, 
Yeah, she's she's she put a, a a hefty amount of snark in in that, and you should definitely check it out. It was pretty good. There was there was definitely some Faye Valentine energy in in that post, so you should definitely check it out uh, if you are so inclined. Mad Max Furiosa release date gets delayed until twenty twenty four. So yeah, they are doing that Mad Max spinoff on Furiosa. Uh, it's it's going to be delayed from June twenty third, twenty twenty three, to May twenty fourth, twenty twenty four. Warner Brothers Warner Brothers announced this nude and did not give any specific reason for the delay, but likely due to usual scheduling conflicts as well as issues, uh, you know, due to COVID, according to this article. So there you go. Next. Oh, last but not least, No Time to Die video introduces James Bond's new ally agents. Uh, there are going to be two fresh recruits joining the fight in No Time to Die. The short video weaving interviews with scenes from the film and clips of the actors' backstage training announces agents Nomi and Paloma, portrayed respectively by Lashana Lynch and Anna de Armas. The duo comprises 007's cavalry in the upcoming espionage thriller, and the castmates provide perspective about their distinction as the, quote, new agents, unquote, in Bond's echelon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, if you saw that um, that last Bond, uh, the, the, the No Time to Die uh, trailer, yeah, that, that is pretty much put out there as such in in a very little certain way. So now we move on to the comic book news. Uh, Avatar Legends RPG, RPG Kickstarter campaign breaks in over 9.5 million. Uh, Magpie Games Avatar Legends, the role-playing game core book, wrapped up its Kickstarter run on September 1st, raising a total of 9.5 and some and some numbers uh, a million dollars, with 81,567 backers uh, at a certain price per backer. So, um, yeah, they're going to be delivered in February of 2022, apparently. Uh, and the campaign is accepting like pledges if you still want to get into it. Uh, the, the printed core books will only be available to read to retailers through distribution. Uh, I guess when it, when it finally comes out. So cool. Next. All right. So, um, this week in toy news, spooky season apparently started early. Spooky Spider-Man, spooky Transformers, and action figures showing a bit more than just skin. Okay. Um, right, so there's a roundup here in this article of all the toy news that dropped. Um, yeah, there's a bunch here. Uh a robotic bat named Dracula's that transforms into a robotic version of Dracula, really? Yeah, it's actually a Transformers. It's one of those Transformers crossovers. Okay. Although they do have a a Transformer named Ratbat who kind of is that anyway, so I'm not sure why the the particular Dracula theme, but hey, go for it. But it's called Dracula's. Right. Uh, Also, for those about to rock, fire! We salute you. Shout out to ACDC. Yes. Um, yeah, this is pretty cool. This uh, Lego Ideas Fender Stratocaster that you see up on your screen now. You should. Uh, I don't know if Rodicat yep. has to scroll up to it. I got it. 
I'll scroll down to it. Right there it is. And uh, that's pretty cool. It's actually pretty expensive at a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. But it must be a, a decent size for that amount of money. I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, Hasbro Nerf Mega XL Dart Blasters are next. Lego DC Batman Batmobile Tumblr Scarecrow Showdown. Apparently that is from uh, uh, Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Um, next up is something I already pre-ordered. The Marvel Legends Symbiote Spider-Man. This is based off of the um, the retro Spider-Man body that we got uh, last year. And they put the uh, Symbiote Spider-Man paint job on it, and I pre-ordered mine. The rest of the wave is on the retro card backing, and um, included are a Hobgoblin, a Ben Riley, uh, a redone Hammerhead, which is something that I'm considering getting, um, a redone Shocker. I'm I'm kind of on the on, on the uh, on the fence about that one, and I'm trying to remember if there's somebody I'm missing. There, there's definitely someone I'm missing, but. Ultimately, um, uh, you know, it's it's always cool to be able to pick and choose the ones that you don't necessarily need, you know, as opposed to having to get an entire wave. But uh, but yeah, I definitely pre-ordered this uh, Symbiote Spider-Man. Um, so this Good Smile Company Fig- Figma human anatomical model made me think of Attack on Titan. Yes, because it just did. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, there's a Star Wars: The Black Series Ray Skywalker Force FX lightsaber, uh, complete with yellow blade, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm not. Oh, actually, it's not a whole bunch of other stuff. Just a couple of more things: some uh, wooden Lego home accessories and a Lego Santa's visit. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty much that. Uh, yeah, um, and I know I put in um, something about that symbiote Spider-Man, and then the pictures that I showed was from that article. But we don't have to talk about that when we get to that point. Uh, Star Wars Lights of the Republic's Bastilla voice actor returns for the remake. Um, um, so, yeah, so re- there uh, was a recent uh, PlayStation uh, state of play. I don't know what they call that thing, uh, where they showcase some some new games that are coming by the pack. So this next couple of um, next few articles are about that. In fact, I'm going to take all of these because I know Ms., uh, uh, Agent uh, 70 is not really big into the video games. Uh, so it says here that I, they can confirm that Jennifer Hale um, is uh, reprising her role of uh, Bastilla Shan, I believe, uh, the, from the original KOTOR. Uh, not, wait, is it Bastilla Shan? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, Bastilla Shan, I was right. Hey, I remember, I remember. Uh, while Bastilla was an essential member of the player's party in the original KOTOR, the uh, the Hawk spaceship uh, hosted a large cast of teammates, and Treadwell suggested, uh, Ryan Treadwell from Aspire Media suggested that the return of the more of more old favorites. Uh, I do think, think, I do think you're going to see some other familiar voices return, but that's probably as, the, as we're going to get on that right now. The fact that Jennifer Hale, um, some folks would know her from pretty much every other th- um, thing she has voiced ever. She has voiced some childhoods, definitely. Um, um, is is good news that she's back for this remake. Uh, Star Wars Hunters trailer brings chaos off from all over the galaxy. So this is a trailer for the, this new free to play multiplayer game uh, in the Star set in the Star Wars universe. There was a trailer for it, uh, and this thing was originally announced during uh, February twenty twenty one Nintendo Direct. Um, uh, but it's going to, and I think it is, yeah, it says for Android, iOS, and Nintendo Switch. 
Uh, it's a Zynga game. It's free to play, like I said, and it's pretty much an arena-based combat game, it looks like. So you can check it out the trailer for yourself. Uh, but the bigger news uh, is in these next couple, which is Spider-Man 2, announced by Insomniac Games from this uh, PlayStation Showcase. So it was a surprise definitely to me, So and it was probably a surprise to other people, um, that Insomniac had announced uh, Spider-Man 2. Uh, continuing the story of Peter Parker and Miles Morales. They are in the game together, shown prominently. Uh, apparently, Venom also shows up in this in the trailer at the end. And there was a voiceover by what I've been believing is Morlin, because that definitely uh, sounds like a Morlin-type character, let's just say. Um, but I don't believe it says that in this article. Um, but regardless, also Tony Todd, yes, that Tony Todd, Candyman is voicing Venom, uh, in the, um, in, in this game. So that's great news in itself, but also, um, announced during this uh, showcase was a new Wolverine game also being made by, um, Insomniac. So the same folks that brought you that great, uh, the great, um, Spider-Man and Miles Morales games is now going to bring you a Wolverine game. And in the trailer for the Wolverine uh, game, which was a simple trailer, no, no gameplay or anything, uh, apparently there was an Easter egg for uh, Wolverine's first, uh, first uh, appearance uh, in comics, which was Hulk 181, Incredible Hulk 181. So I did not pick that up when I saw uh, the reveal trailer because I was just freaking out, not freaking out, but I was just tripping over the fact that like, what the hell is this video? Um, and then when he when he popped his claws, I was like, oh shit, we get a Wolverine game. So that's kind of dope. Uh, you can go check out the trailer uh, at your leisure. It's out there. Next up, you're muted. I'm going to skip the symbiote Spider-Man story and move on to Marvel revealing the quote last stand of Conan the Barbarian. Um, it's their latest new project featuring the iconic barbarian hero. Um, it's poised to finally shed light on the last and least known chapter of Conan's life. So King Conan is written by Jason Aaron and drawn by Mahmoud Asrar, the same team who launched Marvel's monthly Conan the Barbarian comic in 2019. The six-issue series picks up where their run left off in Conan the Barbarian number 12. As an aging King Conan and his son Prince Khan sail west from Aquilonia to, and seek out new adventures in an unfamiliar land. Okay. Khan! <laughs> Uh, return to the world of Old Man Logan with five new Wastelander stories from Marvel. Uh, Marvel Comics is returning to the Wasteland, the alt-future post-apocalyptic environment inhabited by Old Man Logan. Um, running weekly through December, the five one-shots will focus on Wolverine, Hawkeye, Doctor Doom, Peter Quirrell, and the new Black Widow, whose identity remains a mystery. All five one-shots will feature interlocking variant covers uh, themed around the Wastelanders podcast, which uh, features audio drama stories set in the Old Man Logan era. First up, on December 1st, Wastelanders, Wastelanders number one, Wolverine, from writer Stephen S. DeKnight. Uh, you may know him from Daredevil's, from the Netflix's Daredevil show. And Ibrahim Mustafa will tell a new tale of Old Man Logan set after the events of the original story. Um... 
end, the new tale, Logan finds himself as the guardian of a baby Hulk against a new uh, adamantium armor-clad villain known as Downfall. Which I want to say, I don't know if this is the same baby Hulk that grows up and ends up being in the Avengers of the Wasteland, but that that's, I feel like that's probably safe to say. Um... And then there's some other ones I'm not going to go into, but there's uh, the each uh, uh, there's going to be a different one this week. Oh, Tarun Grunbeck is writing uh, Wastelanders Doom, so that ought to be interesting because we've been enjoying her work. Uh, yep. So yeah, but you can read about the rest of these um, uh, in the article. Next up. Next up, writer-artist Mike Mignola is coming out of his kind of sort of comic book artist retirement to draw his first new comic book in five years. And it's not a technically Hellboy comic. <gasps> Mignola is in the middle of drawing Sir Edward Gray, Asheron, or Sharon, a one-shot comic set in the world of Hellboy, a.k.a. the Mignola-verse. Uh, and it's instead focused on a 19th century paranormal investigator that is cursed with everlasting life thanks to some time spent in hell. That's right, the hell that hell boy is from. This will be Mignola's first time drawing a full comic since June 2016's Hellboy in Hell number 16, the finale of that series, and according to Mignola, the finale of the Hellboy character. This Sir Edward Gray uh, colon Asheron or Asheron book goes on sale on December 1st. Uh, Attack on Titan's final volume gets release date, retailer variant covers. Uh, the re- English release of Attack on Titan will wrap this fall when the final, final volume of uh, Hajime um, Isayama's bleak epic tale uh, hits store shelves. Uh, pu- publisher Kodakawa uh, announced today that uh, the final volume, for, like, the final collective volume, excuse me, of Attack on Titan will hit store shelves on October 19th. In addition to the standard release that will be available to all re- retailers, three special editions of the series finale will be sold exclusively at three chains. Um, uh, Kino Kuniya, uh, USA, Barnes & Noble, and Books A Million, which I did not know there was any Books A Million still around. Uh, Books of Means will get a special variant cover drawn by uh, Isayama himself, while the Bonds and Nobles edition will feature an exclusive poster by uh, of um, Mikasa uh, Ackerman. So I know which version uh, Agent 70 is going to get. <laughs> uh, I was about to say, it's not Mikasa, remember? Mikasa's oh, Mikasa. the volleyball. Yes, 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 yes. Mikasa. Mikasa, yes, 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 yes. Again, sue me on my pronunciation. You know. I went no, but I remember going on a whole rant about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as soon as I brought up Roddy Cat, had the flash of recognition. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, there's a whole volleyball thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, customers who pick up the copy of Bonds and Nobles will also be able to separately purchase a limited edition tote bag that is also branded with the image of uh, Mikasa. Um, and this other store will get another different veteran cover. Um, so, yeah, there you go. So if you are chomping at the bit to get that last volume of Attack on Titan uh, and you already haven't gone through other means to to <laughs> to do to 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 uh, read it. Right. There you go. Uh, next up. Yeah, we don't recommend that. But if you really want it. Yeah. And I know more. There are more. uh 
let's say, avid manga readers who have already done it. Though at least a couple of the ones that I know, anyway. Right. I know. I know them too. Mm. I know. I don't know those same ones, but I have similar. Uh, I have similar contacts who are doing their best to keep up with the manga. So mm. I am woefully behind on any sort of manga reading. So uh, you know, I. It's it's something where I want to, I want to support the creators, the the mangaka as they're called, yes. but um, at the same time, that's it's a lot of, to invest. It is, you know, and even catch up, and you need space as well. Yeah, and even if you're reading those like digital, like not every, like it doesn't come to digital, like. Well, I mean, some of, they've been getting better about digital versions of uh, the manga, and you know, like places like Comicsology will put like the first couple of volumes on unlimited, but from there, you're on your own. Exactly, exactly. So ultimately, you know, I think more. I you know what's funny is that manga even more so than comics because, um, actually, no, it's it's the same. It's just a different scale. You know, it's a different size. You know, you still need shelves, and shelving is a, is at a premium if you don't have you know multiple rooms to keep this stuff in. You know, true. So it is true. But uh, anyway, next up, Harley Quinn, the Eat Bang Kill Tours writer, promises more queer love scenes. Okay. Um, during a DC press conference attended by CBR, Harley Quinn. Uh, the, the writer, T. Franklin, discusses the comic's timely importance. Uh, the show made waves in 2019 as an adult-oriented cartoon from D.C. featuring the Cupid of Crime. The catalyst of the cartoon is Harley ending her abusive relationship with Mr. J and setting out to make a name for herself as Gotham's next big bad. As season two progressed, a new relationship began between her and Ivy. Season three ended with Ivy's wedding to Kite Man falling through and the almost bride to be running away with Harley. While fans of the show await season three, they can get a taste for what's in store next in a comic building off of Harley Quinn season two. Harley Quinn, the Eat, Bang, Kill tour, available now both online and in print. During a press conference, uh, series writer T. Franklin discussed how the comic deepens Harley and Ivy's romance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't watched the show, but I think I did read the first episode, the first issue of this. And yeah, apparently it takes place like right after the... Um the the uh, running away from the altar, I guess, or shortly thereafter, I would say. So, if you're interested in that, you should go check it out. Last but not least, uh, DC reveals four new December series and more of its post-Fear State Batman plans. Um, see, while the historic rivalry is pretty much dead, uh, I'm not sure what that's about. This week's uh, DC uh, somewhat took a page out of Marvel's playbook and has countered its recent announcement of eight new series with an announcement of four new December debuting series of its own, along with a more detailed look at its Batman plans after Fear State. Uh, the new titles are highlighted by the all-ages ongoing series Batgirls, which stars former orphan uh, Cassandra Kane, the former spoiler Stephanie Brown, and their mentor and current Batgirl and Oracle Barbara Gordon. That series is being written by Becky Clunan and Michael Conrad and drawn by uh, George Corona. World of Krypton is a six-issue series, uh, six series by Robert Venditti and Michael Avon Oming, uh, set in the past... Stop. 
that depicts the final days of Superman's home world um, as Jor-El struggles to warn his fellow Kryptonians what's coming. And I believe I have seen something else saying that there's a real world parallel into um, such as um, uh, COVID deniers kind of a situation going on in that book. So yeah, there'll be some of that there. Um, uh, the series will also feature Zod and Supergirl when Carol was Kal-El's older cousin on Krypton. Uh, writer Jeff Lemire and artist Doug Mankies tells a gruesome and gory and chilling DC horror tale uh, in the Prestige Plus format three-part Black Label series Swamp Thing Green Hell that features the return of Alec Holland in a future Earth that's mostly under floodwaters, which unfortunately seems taken straight from the headlines, according to this article. Uh, in pretty much the exact opposite direction, One Star Squadron is a broad comedic take on the professional superhero for hire trope, where, quote-unquote, where superheroism meets capitalism. It's written by Mark Russell, with art by Steve Lieber. Um, the six-issue series stars Red Tornado, Power Girl, and some C&D listers, intentionally, who hired themselves out for just about any paying gig. So, there you go. Right. Uh, this is news that's just ahead, that was just ahead of the uh, December solicitations, mm-hmm. which I don't think they've come out yet for DC in full. But Marvel okay. just dropped theirs today. Correct. And, and you, you know the date of this service. recording, which was uh, the, we start on Thursday, September sixteenth. Right. And you can check out those solicitations uh, in the show notes if you are so inclined. And that, folks, is uh, the end of the news. And we got one more ad read. You know what we read when we're in a hurry to get out? Help us keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit CSPN.us and click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry apparel, or Marvel Legends. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment... That helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. As we come to an end of another exciting episode of this here podcast, I would like to thank each and every one of you for coming out, whether it was um, in the, the during the video version or after the fact in the audio version or or the video version later on because you'll probably be seeing some version of this um, get put back up on YouTube uh, at some point haha and with that folks uh, I have been Roddy Cat you can find me at Roddy Cat on Twitter you can find me at News Nerds Need on Twitter you can find me at um, uh, the CB Caps on Instagram Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram PC and underscore dirt on Twitter, popculturenet on Twitter, popculturenetwork.com, and all those umbrella sites therein, and possibly bite under comic reviews, no vowels. If either one of those is still a thing. Um, Tim, D O G G 98 on Twitter, the Osiris that is ish. Also, you can find Tim at uh, CB Cron, which is the Comic Book Chronicles uh, Twitter account. You can also find him at The Click Nation on Twitter. That's the K L I Q N A T I O N, all one word, theclicknation.com. But also, most, import- most importantly, 
comic book resources, CPR.com, where he's over there writing his face off. Uh, you can find this here podcast on the Cold Slither Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. Uh, you can also find this podcast on the, your podcast resource place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, a.k.a. Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or the Cold Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. You can find us recording live every Thursday night on both the YouTube channel of The Click Nation, that's youtube.com slash The Click Nation, and twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. And comic book chronicles is all one word. Um, and if you're there, you know, give give us a follow. Thank you to the folks that have actually been following. Uh, uh, we got a couple of follows in the last week uh, for some folks. Uh, and I appreciate it. We we definitely appreciate it. And again, thank you to the folks that were came by tonight. Uh, you know, um, uh, and definitely told us about our uh, um, audio issues. But thank you for yes, coming by. Just in general, that. thank you for that. Absolutely, big thanks, big shout out to those who told us we needed to tweak something to have our audio pipe out to the folks over at Twitch and YouTube. Yes, that yes. is. Um, whoa. Well seasoned gamer on YouTube, and I am Kamiyu uh, Resu, uh, my dear love friend, uh, on Twitch. And with that, folks, this oh goodness, this has been <laughs> the Combo Chronicles. Peace, peace one, and knowing is half the battle.